0: No, no, no! no. Ah. Coco
1: Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman. Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Zebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenniferin, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Fitzley, Rick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Bob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Tom Heron and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, Patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encouraged. sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear,
2: designer of TRS eighty Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk.
1: This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit
0: world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world.
3: Welcome
4: to Coco Talk episode 209. I fed the squirrel this morning, so hopefully the bandwidth holds out.
0: Cocoa Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tanny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world.
4: <laughs> hey, everybody. hello everybody
2: hello hey
5: hello
4: so far we're in the green
5: all right
6: famous last I words uh, no i'm just kidding
5: <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. all right uh panel introductions looks like we have uh me in the upper left-hand corner I got my left and rights backwards the other day. <laughs> so next over we have Mark Overhoser. Hey, glad to be here. Okay. And next up, Tim Linder.
7: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show.
4: All right. Uh, John Laurie, how you doing today?
8: Doing well. Hey, everybody.
4: All right. Yeah, care's return. Line feed. Next up, Ron Delvo. Hey. How's it going? And here we go, gotta get the right screen. Next up is
5: Nick
2: Oh
4: <laughs> Okay.
2: Love that jingle.
6: <laughs> yeah, the rest of our... us are quite jealous you have your own jingle, but go ahead. You get your <laughs> own not the only, song.
2: One. the only one.
9: He's got the news intro. Yeah. Right. yeah, but he's
3: got to piggyback on the news intro Ah
6: Yeah, I'm riding ah. on the news Coattails, but I'm, I'm Curtis Boyle by the way Hello and welcome <laughs> yes. everyone
4: That's the next person <laughs> on the list Okay uh, Next up, Patrick Uland
3: Howdy folks
4: Alright uh, Next line, we have David Ladd
6: it would help if i was unmuted (laughs) (laughs) he's a strong silent type folks (laughs) good day everyone and welcome to the show is everybody ready for this train ride i hope
10: you are because we don't even know what's in store for today so sit back and wait and explore this together with us and we'll see where this train ride takes us all are we ready?
6: ready all right let's get to it you're up next nick
4: uh Nick Marintes who's also muted
6: <laughs> <First sleeper.
2: laughs> oh, it's only been 209 episodes you can't expect this
6: oh. to he's doing Australian right. sign language right now you just can't see it
4: well next up is the uh, maker of all things switches and also famous for stop right there we have Jason Record hey everybody i guess that's not a jingle
11: but i'll take it
4: It's the closest (laughs) thing I've got.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Curtis, you've got your alt-reality OS OS Nitrous 9 module.
6: Oh, yeah, from the radio play we did. Mm -hmm. That's true.
4: Okay. Um, Let's see. Uh, First up announcements. Uh, Remember, tonight is the Glenside meetup, 7 o'clock Central Time uh, at the usual uh, Bat, um, Bat Channel. Uh, Blue Jeans.
6: Yeah, I'll be so, putting up the specific links and stuff and kind of covering it in the news too, just to remind people later on in the show.
4: Good deal. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, all right. Did you want to go into the uh, Game On Challenge, Nick? Sure. All right. Um, let's see what we have for Cocothos today.
0: I don't think we have any today, do we? And now... Coco or do we, do we do
5: we buy found something Samuel oh cool challenge Yep, let's try that again. I think I know where the problem
4: is.
8: High score challenge
2: All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Pyramix with 18 scores submitted. Kaylin, 5,900. R. Ellen Murphy, 5,900. Damon Beals, 7,000. Rick Yu, 8,350. Boat of Car, 12,450. Rich N, 16,350. Cat Lord, 17,060. Kieran, 18,030. Just Mike, 19,490. Canadian Retro Things, 23,490. Mr. Dave, 24,090. Jim Rye, 26,730. David Craker, 27,620. Me, 29,870. Flutterball, 29,940. El Curtis Boyle, 32,810. Buck Owens, 83,010. And the number one score this week belongs to Tasman, with 84,230. Way to go. Excellent scores. And thank you for another great week of gaming and thank you for all the scores submitted. Yay! Tasman! Uh, so Buck Owens and Tasman were playing on a uh, different level
6: than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Right? <laughs> Divide by 10, we'll even it all up. We have handicaps like golf does, right?
2: Uh, Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, so my screen should be popping up any minute.
6: Yeah, I see it here. Yep.
2: All right, let me just try and rearrange. All right, good, I'll rearrange my desktop. Okay, so uh, here's the scores from Rainbow, which, we, uh, which have been blown away by uh, Buck Owens and, and uh, Tasman, but uh, so definitely possible score. And we have a review from Rainbow, which was favorable. They loved it. And they thought that the shows the power of the Coco 3 graphics at its best. And uh, Curtis also sent me a link to uh, a review from Dynamic Color Computer which was a newsletter of some sort. Uh,
6: it was kind of a newsletter home magazine thing. It actually ran for multiple years. It was actually pretty long running, like from the mid eighties up till around 90 or something. It's all archived on the color computer archive, but uh, it was an yeah. average of probably about 40, 50 pages in this year or something like that. But it lasted between the color computer one, two and the color computer three era, which basically only Rainbow and a couple other, you know, newsletter type things survived, most of the other magazines stopped for the Coco three came out. So I thought it was kind of neat that they actually had a review of it for a, you know, Yeah. Show.
2: They explained the game, how to play it, and, and they uh, um, apparently they I must they must like it. They didn't say anything bad about it. They they, they just it, this was more of a matter of fact what the game is, what it involves. Um, but I think uh, it, I didn't hear anything negative. So, and also from that same issue, they had a they had an ad for Pyramix. So
6: yeah, it sounds like a, like a Dynamic Electronics, I believe, is the company that actually ran Dynamic Color Computer News. And it sounds like they were actually an authorized reseller of it from that ad. So
2: yeah, twenty four ninety five on uh, on disc. Just send your check or Visa or Mastercard number to that address, and you'll be able to get yourself a copy.
6: Yeah. or you can send them to me. That's fine too. <laughs> <laughs> what? No COD.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, so once again, we have gameplay from Canadian Retro Things. Thank you for that. And check out his channel for uh, retro stuff, including Coco and other retro systems. So, uh, yeah, this was, this was a very close uh, clone to Qbert, uh, missing a couple of things, uh, missing the guys that jumped sideways on the cubes, ugh, in Wrong Way. And uh, instead, they substituted in a death square, which I wasn't a fan of, to be honest. <laughs> um because well first it was hard uh random a- aggressive went on the top cube so that could mess you up if you went on the elevator at the wrong time or the disc and it didn't stop when you got the uh, green ball so yeah that was uh,
6: one thing I, I i found out the hard way too
2: <laughs> so it was actually very i think that was uh that made the game a lot harder uh than uh than it would have been otherwise with uh uh Rather than Ugna uh, wrong way. But, but you know, the guy was 18 when he coded. 18? Or oh, he was in high school? Oh, grade eight. Oh, grade eight. Oh, my God. Grade eight. <laughs> so, uh, can't really fault him too much.
6: Like he was probably about 13 when he wrote this.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so for really first effort,
6: and, and the Coco 3 was new when this came out. I mean, this is one of the games that came out the first year, one of the very first third party games, actually came on like mid 87 or early 87 or something like that and the Coco only really had been out since October of 86. So for somebody who's that young, who's never coded a machine language game before, never touched a Coco 3 before, this is pretty damn impressive.
2: Uh yeah, I'd say. And it had a lot of different options for control. You could have it where you have to push the button to jump, where you jump automatically and push the button to stop jumping, or where you just or it just jumps automatically and the button doesn't do anything, so you're just constantly jumping until you center.
6: Yeah, or so keyboard, gave, keyboard, or keyboard.
2: Too. So he gave a lot of control options. So that was pretty impressive.
6: Yeah, and he's got that nice little you know, hardware scroll with the the whole triangle pyramid, whatever you want to call it, thing kind of bounces onto the screen every time you start.
3: Yeah, I would have liked uh, my deluxe joystick to have the anti switch, so instead of pulling it towards the center it shoved it towards the edges
2: <laughs> i like the deluxe joystick for this because it had the well has well-defined corners so i was just uh, even though somebody mentioned that the deluxe has a, a, a long throw which it does so i was just whipping right. that stick in free foam more from corner to corner uh, <laughs> that's
3: that's why i could have used the anti-centering option to force it to snap to the edges when you started that way it would have yeah it would have added quite a few points to my score i kept Fallen off in, in ways I didn't intend to go.
2: Yeah.
6: So I was Taz, like, yeah, I didn't do that too often. <clears throat> my, uh, the, the main problem I had is when you get to the higher levels where you're not only having to jump on the cubes twice to change it to the color, but also when you jump on them again, it reverts the color back, so you're constantly screwing your own self up as you're going. That yeah. was a bugger.
2: Hubert does that too. It's very faithful yeah. to the machine. Scott Cooper, also known as Tasman, hated, hated the death squares as well. So imagine his score had there not been the death squares. I mean, he only got 84,000 with the death squares. So I'm sure he would have done, you know, gotten a decent score if uh, there were. (laughs) I say that with my 29,000 score in comparison. So,
6: Well, as I mentioned in in the comment I put with my score, which uh, was just in the low 30s, I wasn't much past you, is that was the very first game I had out of about six or seven. And that was as good as it ever got. (laughs) It just went down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One thing I did notice with the snake too is he would jump off the edge even if you took the disc up early. If you're when you're floating up, he'd jump off the edge to chase after you. And I don't know if the arcade did that.
6: Yeah, I I can't remember. Some other Coco clones did do that, and some others he would change direction and kind of follow you up to the top. So yeah. I can't remember what the arcade did.
8: One thing I liked about the arcade was when you jumped off of the edge, they had a physical uh like hammer or something inside the unit and some sort of relay, and it would it would whack the we go and you'd hear this this wax out physical. There was a physical hammer inside the unit that would bang right. on the that unit. That
2: was a pinball knocker by uh got I think it was Gottlieb. You know the knocker you hear in a pinball and you win a free game? And yeah, that? okay, yeah. It was, it was a pinball knocker in the bottom of the case, in the bottom of the case that uh got put in. Yeah.
3: That's kind of funny. Pinball was dying, and people are looking in the warehouse and saying, What are we gonna do with these hundred and fifty thousand pinball knockers? I
2: know, <laughs> yeah, and of course he also did speech balloon with the uh, fake uh, expletive, which he doesn't do here. But uh, yeah, Cubert was a cute game. It was, yeah. There was actually an, uh, a sequel in development, but it never uh, it never came to the arcade. But you could get the ROM from Mame called Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cubert by the same uh, author. Really? And uh, it never, never made it to the arcade, but he released it to the, to the, to the uh, emulation scene back in the '90s. So you're able to play it in
6: name. Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's called Faster, Harder, More Challenging Cubert. At least that's the name. He added a if-
6: death square, didn't he? <laughs>
2: yeah. Faster. <laughs> <laughs> then there was also another sequel called Cubes, which I don't know if you guys remember where you just had to jump on cubes and rotate them to, uh, to uh, make them all the target color. And it wasn't, it wasn't a pyramid shape. It was more rows of these cubes.
6: More like a blockhead layout type thing? Or?
2: Uh, But they weren't connected. It was, it was hard to describe. It was called cubes, Q-U-B-E-S. I used to like that game as well.
6: I know there's a dragon one <clears throat> that's an ass- higher semi-graphics mode. I think it's SG24. So it does like nine colors, but it has randomly shaped, well, not randomly, they're fixed, but there's, different shapes of the cube arrangements for every level so there's like you know there'd be a pyramid might be a block that might be a thing with little platforms and stuff so that one's actually quite an interesting one we'll have to see if we cover that one at some point
8: in the future too done in sg24 yeah what's it called
6: i think it's called pogo joe or something like that it's i, I actually i can show it to you when we get to the uh, the game news because cuthbert dragon after canceling his page and wiping it out, actually uploaded like a couple dozen, three dozen, four dozen videos just this past week. So he's redoing the channel again. He seems to do a cleanup and redo every once in a while. I don't know why. Makes it a bugger to try to find stuff after the fact, but I'll show it to you then. Remind me, John. Okay.
2: Actually, I'm remembering more about that cubes game now. So yeah, they were rows, but the the cubes were not connected. They were a bit of a distance apart that you can jump. And as you jumped off a cube, it would rotate. So the object was to jump off the cubes to make them rotate so that the target color was on top. So it was a bit different than Qbert.
6: I'll have to check that out. I, I, I never saw that one, to be honest. Yeah,
2: it was a cool game. So uh, I don't believe any ports of that were done for, but that's also a name.
6: I bow to your arcade knowledge.
2: <laughs> yeah, I spent uh, a lot of time in the arcade back in the early 80s.
6: I did too, but I, d- I didn't see that one in particular. I guess I guess I kind of got out of going to the arcades regularly by about 85, 86, except mm. for the university ones. My exposure was a bit limited by that time.
2: Yeah. Well, faster, harder, more challenging never made it to the arcade. That was just from the emulation scene, but the other one did. The cubes did. Q-U-B-E-S.
10: So any, any strategies for this one?
2: Um. Well, I, I watched CRT's video and he liked to leave the top square till the end and just catch it with one of the discs. Um, for me, no, I just, uh, the first couple levels you could kind of clear without too much trouble. Just if you just uh, keep your button down, keep your finger, I like to play where you had to push the button, but also if you leave the button down, you'd also auto jump. So I would just keep the button down and clear out the first level before any enemies could appear. In the second level, you could almost do that too um avoid that stupid death square <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah i
6: think like in my case same thing i played where you had to hold down the button to jump just because that's what i'm used to um i usually and i don't know why i started doing this on the earlier coco one and two version i think i even did it in the arcade too i don't know can't remember how well it worked there but i usually will go down to the left to the bottom and then i just zigzag across the bottom and then come yeah. back up and start filling it in i don't know why i do that I don't that's, know if that's what that i do advantageous
2: that's what crt does as well see he did that so uh yeah i like to do that as well just stick to the bottom even when you have to do multiple i would do that you know i would, I would yeah. go back up to the top and go back down the bottom across yeah i like doing that as well maybe it's our uh, ocd where it's you know it's sort of <laughs> very orderly get maybe the we just ball. suck at arcade
6: games i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'd like to see very... what did you, did you get I, I saw that Bucket released a video on twitch of his gameplay for his 84 thousands or 82 000 or whatever his, his high score and i didn't get a chance to watch it except for the very beginning so i'm not sure did he have a specific order he was doing them in too. or
2: i don't know I, I did download the video but i was not able to play it in the browser i like to play it in the browser because if i try to stream the video it makes the uh makes things choppy for me so i couldn't i can't play it in the browser but check out the uh, the discord channel and there's a uh a link to his game there's a link to an excerpt of his video he didn't show the whole thing just his uh near the end where he got the top score or his top score
6: so, yeah it was fun watching the two titans battle it out
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and the rest
6: of us are battling for table scraps
2: that's right <laughs> i just wanted to break thirty thousand, and i couldn't do that i was some that was my
6: i did twice my first game and my second game which is about two thousand less than i had from my high score and then it just like literally it just went down i think my final game was like seven thousand. and i just said that's that's enough yeah it's a, it's a nice game though it's, it's a nice early cocoa three game the only real fault i have with it <clears throat> and it's not really a, a fault fault it's just you know because of what we know later from using frqs and stuff here is that the sound could have been i think much improved uh, mm. it's fairly it's fairly basic but i mean for something a done by a 13 year old and and two done Within the first year, less than the first year, of the hardware being released, nobody you know knew how to program any of that stuff yet. It's a, a darn fine first early effort,
2: I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine writing uh, a game like this as your first. Is this his first? We know if this is first, or we just know he was. Well, we know he was in grade eight, so he was early anyway. Yeah, early in his I mean, life. grade
10: eight.
6: I, I barely started learning basics. so... <laughs>
2: yeah
6: i mean granted it's an earlier era too but uh, yeah that's that was beyond me i couldn't do this even today nope
2: all right so are we ready to talk about next week's game
6: yep unless somebody else has any tips tricks etc let's see check the chat
2: not a whole lot in chat AC did play this week, but he didn't submit it. he didn't uh submit a score this week. Just yeah, noticed you were not here, AC. Yeah,
6: there was a couple of comments. Let me find them here. Um, David Cracker said 80k is insane. <laughs> I agree.
2: Yeah, um, I can't. Scott Cooper Course
6: hated the death square, it's evil.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, AC's
6: Apid Zone commented that you know the, the author Jordan was a prodigy, and that's that's uh, that's true. I don't think he did anything else after that. He might have done some utilities. Or something. I don't think he did any other games. I don't know. If huh. Maybe he just didn't sell well, or I mean, know. piracy was rampant back then. So, yeah. Sixty said the random square was the worst.
2: Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it would it would appear under you mid jump. Yeah. <laughs> no it was it was definitely harder than what it replaced those UG and wrong way guys i mean those were they were you know they jumped on the sides of the cubes they were a pain too but i think the death square was an unfair trade <laughs>
6: yeah Def- definitely a challenge i mean it was okay if the death square wandered off to the other side of the the, the pyramid and you were you know busy on the yeah, opposite side to it then you could just wander around fairly well with impunity but once he was on your side and that's where your last few squares was it was like get the heck out of the way. There's no way to, he's not smart and follow you around. So you can't like lure him and then go around him. He just randomly. Yeah. Blithers around and
2: yeah. He wasn't on every level, thankfully, but he was on, like he wasn't on every round, Like he's not on this round, for example. I don't know if he was just on round two, three and four or three and four. I didn't pay attention to.
6: Now Scott Cooper does have one tip he gave. He said he would leave one square open. And then I would stay at the top and wait for the green guys to boost my score only on the earlier levels.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the only place you got scoring with, well, jumping on a cube gave you a score, but jumping on a green guys,
6: luring the snake. Yeah, I think that's true score. because I, I did clear the first level just without even hitting anything else. I didn't use the discs. I didn't hit any of the green things. And I think it's 2,500 points you get for all the squares. And yeah. then one time I did wait kind of wait around I got you know both of the green things, the freeze time one and and the, uh, the, the ones called. And then my score is like 3,500, 3,800 because I had used disks and stuff. So yeah, you can definitely boost your score by not progressing to the next level as quickly. Yeah. And then you don't get that stupid death square for longer. So that's a plus. That's true.
2: <laughs> yeah, bottom line is we hate that death square. Yeah. We need somebody needs to hack the game to remove that. <laughs>
6: <perfect>. <laughs> Here's your chance to learn ML, Nick.
2: <laughs> All right. So, thanks again, guys, for this week's uh, result uh, turnout. And uh, I'll reveal next week's game. So, I'm kind of bucking the trend a little bit. We're, we're actually doing another game for Coco 3. Uh, there's a game that was originally on the Coco 1 and 2, and then it was uh, upgraded for the 3. And I'm sure you guys will know what this is.
6: Not a clue. Arky. Looks like a worthless game. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Donut Dilemma by our very own Nick Berentes. I'm so, being
6: so, by that game.
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, this game is available for uh, for free off Nick's website. If you go to... so You, you go to his site and uh, you go to Project Archive and you scroll down to uh, Donut Dilemma 2019. Very and then, bottom. Yeah. and then you scroll down to the very bottom, and you can down your, so download yourself a copy of uh, Donut Dilemma Coco Three, and it's cool because be, be on, he one of the things he did for the Coco Three was he put a black border instead of the white border, so uh, it's got a nice black border, and it also supports joystick, which his original uh, game only. did not. Now there is a warning with the joystick; it uh, you either, you need a two button joystick. Or you'll have to use the space bar to fire, because uh, the object of the game is to get to the, to get all the flashy. There's some flashing spurs you have to collect, and then get to the elevator. And then there's a little bag of dough you can pick up that gives you five shots. You can shoot the donuts, um, or yeah, you can shoot the donuts. So uh, you'll need to use uh, to aim with your joystick and press the space bar to fire the the, the shot at the donuts. But you jump with the button or if you have a two button joystick then that's that's the easiest. So that's
12: I think you just is. you just hold the uh, second button down or the space bar and then you just tap the joystick left or right. Oh and that's thro- good. Yeah, and it just throws the uh, the dough in that direction.
6: Oh okay. Now does this version still work on the Cocoa 1 and 2 or or does anybody want to play this on the Cocoa no, 1 2 has no. to go back to get the Cocoa 1 and 2 version.
12: Now the Cocoa 1 and 2 version if you if you scroll up to the to the top uh, where I do cover the Cocoa 1 and 2 original version, you can download that as well. Oh. But be- between the two games, the scoring is a little bit different. Uh, it's a, I think it's a bit easier on the Cocoa 3 one. Plus, you get more lives um, and it's joystick versus keyboard only.
2: Is it on um, this page? I
12: think, no, it was on that other page you're on just before.
2: Okay. Like the main yeah. Cocoa. Oh, the main,
12: uh, no, yeah, the there. So go one? down, go down a bit, just under this.
2: Click here to download the original Cocoa 1 and 2 versions.
12: Yeah. So now the original Cocoa 1 and 2 versions used PAL artifacting. So they have a bit of a stripey look to them. That's how the original one was. Because on a color TV set back in the day, that actually produced extra colors like the center part of the screen there, which has got stripes of uh, uh, cyan and magenta, I think, on a TV set, on a PAL TV set, they tended to blend together and made a nice blue. So uh, one of the first or maybe the first PAL artifact color game. So you had a total of six colors in, in this mode. Uh, as opposed to the P mode 4.3. so it looked pretty good. But back, that was for an old CRT TV, which nowadays we've got you know proper monitors, and uh, the the picture quality doesn't quite represent the extra colors so well. So it's not it's it's still playable, right? Uh, and and with the download is the original manual as well, if people want to play it. But for this. Um, challenge it's the coco three version which is yeah down the bottom yes it's it, it's it been improved in a few areas
2: and you okay. can play
12: but
6: are you allowing coco one and two people to join in if that's all they have that they can play the i don't original? think i don't think nick is no
2: well i don't know uh, if it's a difference uh, well, between somebody being able to i mean if the coco two version is actually harder it doesn't give them an advantage right so maybe we should let them in, in case someone well, can't play any other way Unless
12: you just have two two score tallies, yeah, one right. for the co- one for the cocoa, one and two and one, or or just have it so that with the score you've also put a little marker to indicate which version you got that score on. Nick, Nick you said the scoring is easier on the cocoa free version. It, the scores <laughs> are the same, but. Well, for starters, you get nine lives on the Cocoa 3 Oh, there version. you go,
6: yeah. So we okay. should handicap Tasman and Buck uh, <laughs> Owens to play the Coco 1 and 2 version, and the rest of us poor slobs can get the Coco 3 version and at uh, least have a uh, fighting I chance. I say play hell.
2: the Coco 3 version because <laughs> people, people can use VCC or MAME if they don't have a Coco 3. Yeah, yeah. Because we've got, that's, that's the same with any Coco 3 game. So let's treat it as a Cocoa 3 game and uh yeah
6: i mean i, I would say that anybody wants to play the coco one Two and say they only have joysticks for a real coco one two and they don't have one for MAME or something then you know go ahead we, we want you to participate we'll we'll do a little asterisk thing just to mention which yeah we'll, you
2: we'll be able to do a shout out to people who played coco two version and and uh and and something like that i'll f- we'll figure something out yeah and nick do you still PC have PC the ntsc
12: no. does the
6: coco one and two doesn't support joysticks no it's keyboard only right actually, you're actually right yeah yeah and then, like, three or four keys at once, I think, or something, too.
12: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the manual is included with the download. Um, but uh, back in the day, of course, I could play the keyboard uh, version. But nowadays, my fingers just get tied up in a knot. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
6: Now, man. just one last question. Do you have the NTSC Cocoa 1 and 2 version still available, if anyone wants to try that? I could probably get put that I know you together. had it up at one time. I don't know where it came Yeah, from yeah,
12: I know. I can... I Can well, NTSC version. All I've done is I've taken the stripes out, that's all. Um, it, it I, I could, I'll try add it. How's that? I'll, I'll make both versions for the Cocoa okay, yeah. one and two of Let's just give
6: people some options. I mean, just to, yeah. you don't want but, to
12: do lock anybody out, but for the so, official yeah.
2: challenge, it's the Cocoa three version, it's the
12: Cocoa three one, big, which has, yeah, several features. Namely, also things like uh, it uses the higher clock speed on the Coco 3, so it's a bit faster and smoother. It also, uh, as Nick mentioned, it's a black background because um, that was one of the things I wanted to... Yeah, because you have a fetish about that, so... Yeah, I I hate those bright white or green uh, borders. Uh, I always wanted a black background. And I I was thinking, I said, well, the Coco 3 can change the border but it can't do it when it's emulating a cocoa one and 2 it tries to do it the same as a real cocoa one and 2 where you can't change the border but in a gimme mode you can so then I thought I wonder what happens if I actually create a video mode which is an equivalent to the p mode 3 mode uh, in and on the gimme. And would the game still play? Would it even know the difference? So I tried it, created a, a gimme mode, which was the same res, same colors, um, same position in memory. Uh, and uh, the program ran. It did. It, it never knew and No the changes.
6: Difference. No changes, no. It's just the setup of the graphics mode itself on yeah. the hardware, and then you're done.
12: So technically, you can take any Coco 1 and 2 game that uses P mode three say. Uh, and if, if you had the source code to change it so that it opened up a gimme equivalent mode, uh you could then turn the the border off. Wow. That was but unfortunately, um yeah, I think That'd it's a bit so late rough. nowadays. That would have been good back in the day.
6: Yeah. And yeah. if you did do that, you might as well change the palettes to make them a bit more appropriate. Too. Well,
12: that, that that's what I did with donut. I even changed the palette colours. So
2: yeah. Yeah, there's no magenta. It's orange. Oh, there is magenta. The, the I still got the
12: magenta, but the uh, the blue background. That's is, different. Yeah. Yeah, but but that yellow, was the the yellow. That buff. was the blue. That was the blue that you got when you ran the pal artifact colors. So that that's that's how it looked with the bright blue background. But uh, yeah, was, kind
2: of kind of a yellow and yellowish white. Yeah. Buff. Yeah, it's a nice yeah, color that's... set you chose. <clears throat>
12: All right. It's still only four colors, but yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. Anyway, so that's our game for the week. So, like I said, Coco Three version is the official challenge version. Uh, If there's anybody out there who, for some reason, cannot play Coco Three version in an emulator or whatever, then uh, I'll I'll mention you as a Coco Two player, but the score won't be in the list. and won't be like ranked or anything. All right. So, thank you. Mark Bosley and thank you panel and thanks for everybody who participated this week and we'll see you next week
12: okay okay
2: you are watching Coco Talk the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy color computer we spread the love to the past, present and future for all models including the original color computer the Coco 3 and the world renowned
13: exclusive French computer Radio Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk.
1: As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Cocoa Discord server, and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy-to-remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Cocoa123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the rainbow magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Cocoa periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at Glenside ccc.com, and then click on the documents link to view all the past issues of the Cocoa 123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Cocoa World Map is a cool community resource where you can view Cocoa nuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Cocoa Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. And we look forward to seeing you on the Cocoa Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stro, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Cocoa. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Cocoa. There's no wrong way to be on Cocoa Talk. You just have to want to talk Cocoa. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and let's get you on the show and let's talk about the Cocoa.
7: Hi, I'm Tim and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book.
1: Uh, can, you, can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? And we're back.
4: And we've been joined by special guest Ron Klein. Now, let me find the button to make him bigger.
11: Can you guys hear me all right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Well, thank you for having me on. Okay, so basically we wanted to have
6: you on because there was a couple of questions about the Cocoa Pi and using it specifically, I believe on the Pi 4. And I know you've been mentioning, you've been doing some updates, which are now available on Stevie's site. So we wanted to give some details on, on what has been updated, what was the problem, what has changed, et cetera.
11: Yeah, there were, there were numerous updates I did um, to the operating system itself, just to keep that current. And then obviously we keep MAME up to date. XOR hasn't had any updates recently. Um, but a lot of the development tools and things like that I updated. Um, in addition to it, I've added on the Cocoa Pi 4 or for the Raspberry Pi 4, um, X Windows is back on again. You can actually run MAME under X Windows. And now, because of that, you can run the MAME debugger, which was something some people were asking for. So that, that all seems to be working. And then Stevie wanted the ability to run uh, Quick Basic 4. Um, they do have a Linux port and that's working under X Windows as well. I think he likes to do some development with that, so um, I went ahead and added that. There's numerous script updates. There's um, other options for running uh, the various emulators, like the MC10 still has the MCX128 support that Tim added um, some versions ago that all works with the built-in Pi drive wire. Um, in addition to that, the regular Java drive wire is still on there if you want to use it. So there's, there's just a lot of little things. I've been trying to come up with a change log. And the other big thing as well as um, those numerous changes is I've done some revamping on GitHub for doing updates for the scripts and things like that. So once people download, um, uh, you know, if they download the new SD card image, I think I can update pretty much everything I need to now from GitHub outside of just the OS. So your latest main release is everything else. I've been doing that, but the scripts are all cleaned up and that all seems to be working. So.
6: Okay. And then the issues that a couple of people had had trying to get the Raspberry Pi 4 to work have all been resolved. Or like, is there yeah. certain updates they have to do of their own stuff first to no, make this it's work? No,
11: it's in the latest um, the latest version. So it was, an, it was an operating system upgrade. It was some something they had to resolve to get the keyboard to work if you were running an earlier version of Raspbian. And that seems to be working now. So um, if you download the latest image, it's about seven gig to download. It'll fit on a 16 gig card. I recommend minimum 32. It it seems crazy. This project's been around for about four years now. And people are like, how can you possibly use 16 gig worth of stuff? (laughs) It's not the Coco stuff so much. It's, It's all the development tools and everything else. And you know, Raspbian, even though you can get a, a light version of it, by the time you add some of the libraries you need for X windows, and, and I make it where people can compile if they wanna download some of the projects that people have put out there on GitHub for the Cocoa, um, they can do all that and they can compile all this stuff because I've added all the libraries and things that are needed for that. So there's, there's actually a lot that people don't use on this project. Um, but from a development standpoint, there is a lot there.
0: Okay, cool. I will
6: mention Kieran does have a, a kind of a, an alpha beta, whatever you want to call it, update to XWar for cleaning up the way he reads cassettes. Oh, okay. Uh, some of the older cassettes that have ghost images. It's directly from his site, but I don't think it's on his main GitHub or anything yet because he's still you know, experimenting with it making sure it works properly. Yeah, so he just, sends just, me
11: links to his development stuff. I'll have to take a look. And if it's on there, I'll uh, I'll compile one and I'll put it up on GitHub. And when people do updates, it'll it'll pull it right down.
6: Yeah, I'll be mentioning on the news there. So I don't know if you'll still be around for that part, but uh, you, can, you can check it out at where I can yeah, just I'll tell you if you want. While.
11: Yeah.
6: <laughs> so basically he said um, it, it allows some tapes to load properly. Now, if they had some faint ghosting echoing in the background, the way he was doing the crossovers and stuff was a bit too fussy. And he said he found that actually on a commercial Galagon tape, had a little bit of that ghosting in the background. It wouldn't load properly, now it will. So that's basically what his little patch update is.
11: Okay.
6: Should make some tapes more reliable, basically. Does anybody else have any questions? Has anybody, has anybody tried the, the, uh, the Cocoa Pie on a Pie 4
11: on the panel?
14: I'm still There's on, on Pi the- 3 and I, I enjoy that. I Is the man still of the panel s- got
11: a Pi 4. <laughs> I still support the Pi 3. I keep as much updated on that as possible. Just the X Windows part, it, it runs, but you can't run MAME under it. You can't run Xor under it because on that platform I compile it just for the console. Um, so that's why the Pi, you know, the Pi 4 having some better performance. It allows me to run those emulators now under X Windows. So. Or
14: RAM 2, right?
11: Yeah, you know, RAM wise, I have a four meg raspberry pi 4 and that's doing fine Uh, you know the 8 meg versions are out now i don't know if there's any benefit for um the emulator so much but if you're going to do more on the raspberry pi 4 like make it more of a desktop type thing then i could see where that might be a benefit what
6: was that mark i didn't cut you you said there
9: it's gigabyte not megabyte i'm sorry gigabyte Unfortunately, we flip back so far between kilobytes, wow. megabytes, and gigabytes. Yeah, Who needs
6: more than 4K anyway? Thank <laughs> you for
9: the correction. Exactly. Where's my Cocoa 1, by the way?
11: <laughs> Technically.
3: Well, now I can put my 4 to good use because it's been waiting for a suitable reason to learn it. And I've got one. Looks got
14: like two. you have a Model 100 back there serving something that's propped up like it's busy.
11: Oh,
3: that's 100. that's the three... <laughs>
11: Actually, I have, oh yeah, there is a, there is a Model 100 there. I have that hooked up, a real floppy drive sitting there, Um, a TP-10, and then the MC-10 there, and then above it's the Raspberry Uh Pi 400, and then um, you don't see it off to the side, but I do have a DMP-130, and I blame uh, Mike Rowan for that because of his um, latest little project with printing. I can't believe i went out and got a dot matrix printer again um but i did and i i like it the first time i heard the sound boy did that bring back some memories so um mm. yeah yeah so it's a neat- yeah there's
6: quite a few people experimenting with it i had a few requests for nitrous 9 to put in a, an alternate boot with real you know printer driver support rather than the standard drive wire yeah well i
11: have the printer so if you uh you know i'd use it if you did it <laughs>
5: Just no, a I, ribbons I, for...
11: I did. Uh, there is a source for ribbons. They're about 12 or $13. So they're not super cheap, but they work real well. So you can get ribbons.
6: And I guess one big advantage of using actual real line printers versus new modern laser and ink jets is if you have any carbon paper and you want to make multiple copies by only printing once, that's the only way it works because it needs the impact. to.
11: Yes, right? you could do that. Yep.
3: In fact, when I ran out of ribbons for the old DMP-105, I would just stick a carbon in it and print that way.
11: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Good idea. And it's got near-letter quality mode if you have the DMP-130, which is fantastic.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's your experience? you actually have a Pi 4? Uh, how does it run, do running the emulators? Is it just, is it basically the same as running it, a 3 it except does, smoother or is it yeah, it does it have advantages? Yeah, it
11: well. In fact, I can, um, let me see if I can share a screen here. Ron, can I print? Um,
14: can I print from my uh, Pi three?
11: You you can, and you can print from the Pi four. How it works? Well, it depends. Now, so if you run Brett Gordon's YADOS, yeah you pick one of the emulators with that. You can actually use that along with Pi DriveWire, and it's got printing support. So it'll it'll write out to a basically a PDF file. In a folder where you can take that and then send it to a printer. So anyone that's pulls this right out of you know they, they download the image, it's ready to go with that. If you want to do real printing from um, the emulated cocoa or whatever on there, or any of your actual Cocos on a network, you can uh, follow Mike Rowan's project and you can do that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, let me see if I can share a screen. You know if you guys see that. Yep. Okay. So this is the oops, This is the latest image, um, and it's just basically downloaded. I haven't done anything with it. And I know there's actually Steve put out a nice video um, some time ago on the first steps that you should do when you get this. But basically, um, I can step through a couple of them real quick. One of the first things that I do is I go into um, Raspbian config and I just resize the file system. Now, there is a way to do that through um, automation because Raspbian has that ability now. But I'm going to go ahead and just, just do it now. So basically, I reboot after that. This is a, I believe, a... 32 or 64 gig card. We'll let this boot up. And this is a Raspberry Pi 4. That's where it fills the file system. And there we go. One of the other things I do is I go in, a lot of people, this is another question a lot of people still ask is about the ROM images. So there's an option right here, grab all the ROMs, extract some and there you go. Now there is one version of MAME and XR on here. I have to save some space, it's the latest version 230, but you can, take this option down here, which is the GitHub repo update. This is anytime I put out updates to scripts, but also it'll pull down. And this is going to take just a couple, maybe a minute or so, because what it's going to do, it's going to pull down probably the last eight versions of main and the other previous version of xword. And the nice thing about that is if there is an update to main and let's say there's a bug in it, you can go through a menu option and pick the version of MAME or Xware that you want to run as the default. Um,
6: That's a good idea because we do know that MAME occasionally breaks stuff unintentionally, of course, but uh, yeah, that sometimes takes a couple of versions to get fixed up again. And that yeah, has affected that, the Cocoa in the past.
11: Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a matter of just space. I think with a compiled version of MAME on the Raspberry Pi with some of the default folders, it it's averaging about... Uh, something like 500 meg to have that installed. So if you have multiple versions, because when I compile it, I compile it with the tools it comes with, like the the floppy tools and things like that. It should be pretty quick here. Like I said, it's pulling down about eight different versions of name right now, and any script updates and everything else. Oh, 32%, oh cow.
6: Now, a quick question for you, for the people that are a bit more game-oriented. Yes. I know there's a lot of front ends for MAME to make it easier to select game images, like you might have a screenshot of the game or even some sound effects, Mm -hmm. whatever. Since this is now running X Windows and a a full windowing system, is that something that's able to do on or would be able to do in the future on the?
11: Yeah, so there's been a lot of advances in the MAME support on, and I'll mention the uh, RetroPride project. It's the whole reason that this project started uh, with me is because they were not providing the latest version of Maine. Um, they were using a very old version of main, And I wanted to run the latest for Cocoa emulation. And that led to all right, how do I compile the latest source? How do I get it to work with accelerated video libraries and everything else? And that was a great learning experience. And then from there it kind of just took off for some of the things I wanted. It was a completely different project than Retropod. There is a person now maintaining um, the latest versions of MAME for the RetroPri project. And the thing is, there's no one out there that's actually providing pre-compiled binaries for MAME for the Raspberry Pi. So with RetroPi, here we go, it's going to finish up. That's just syncing everything. This is where it goes through and looks at all the available files and scripts. And the first time you run this, it takes it is it, the longest. After this, everything's pretty quick, and then now we're up to date. So, if I were to, oh, there's something else I want to. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff here. Anytime you pair up Bluetooth controllers, I have a thing where you can save, save the information and restore it if you need to. Same with your main emulator configuration files and XOR. There's the ability to save those off, so if you make changes and something breaks, you can restore those. That's all stuff that's part of this utilities menu. There's, there's quite a bit in here. Um, forgot about this. This is something new. So for people that have a Coco and they're connected up to a Raspberry Pi, um, you can load HDB DOS through um, your like a cassette cable so like let's say somebody's cell phone or whatever to get hdb dos loaded very easily that works on this now there's a application here to play the audio so you can plug that in and it's using some stuff that david lad set up which is the ability to load much faster off the cassette so that's actually kind of a handy thing you can actually get hdb dos going now on a cocoa that all that you have is maybe a drive wire cable, this Raspberry Pi, and uh, you, have no, you have nothing else to, and, and again, this would be more for like a real Cocoa if you were plugging that into this Raspberry Pi. It works you know, under Ron, on your Oh, David, is that you?
7: No, Ron, that's a really good point that not only is this a, a good distribution for uh, people who wanna run the emulators, but it's also pretty handy for people to use with real Cocos.
11: Yes, that, that's exactly what I was hoping. I mean, this, it really is a great small device. It doesn't take up much room. And again, somebody with a brand new Cocoa that you get off of eBay, they don't have anything yet. If they had a Raspberry Pi and a drive wire cable, they can still enjoy a lot of things from this distribution. So um, there is some support I started adding. It's not, there's nothing here yet. It's, it's on the menu. This is for uh, Brett Gordon's game um, and some other things that are coming out for the network stuff. I've kind of just put a placeholder there for it that it doesn't do anything yet, but I've been doing um, some playing around with the timeline development version.
6: Actually, there's Mark, or you might be able to give us a bit of an update on that too, because you're one of the beta testers on the uh, the network stuff too, aren't you?
9: Uh, well, yeah, yeah. There's actually three things. The RVPN is something that Brett's been working on for a bit, basically a um, uh, basically a, a, VPN client that runs, uh, that'll let you, you know, create a network within a network. So I'm running a couple of stations with Raspberry Pi and my Unix system. so is Brett, so it's Ron. And so we can actually ping around the individual, um, uh, systems that are actually going on the real internet, although it really uses the internet, but yeah, that's be one of the things, but, uh, the other stuff of course is, uh, the Alcoran game, which is network-based currently using DriveWire, And then there's a the network cards, the, uh, the cocoa nick that jim brain is uh hopefully gonna find shortly uh last believe they might be on the uh uh what was the the, the barge that got stuck in the Suez? So
11: uh, <laughs> yeah which, uh, i asked jim about it Evergiven. I, I think he yeah. ordered some of the cards i just don't i don't know when he's going to get them yet
9: yeah he's thinking they might be on the ever given so <laughs> <laughs> anyway and then uh of course uh rick Ulan's, uh coco um uh, I.O., which uh, there's a few protos out there, and it's actually looking really positive. But we got to write drivers, so uh, everything's in progress.
6: Okay, cool. Nice to get an update now. We haven't heard from Brett in a while, so
11: yeah. And I was just downloading some of the um, some of the uh, other things, like the Nitrous Nine, the latest version, the latest version of Thrusix. Just did that. Um, The other big one a lot of people ask about, and this one I have to keep up to date, that's why it's nice to have the ability to download or to send updates to GitHub, is the link for the Cocoa SDC image. Even though this is not a Cocoa SDC, you can load all the software um, that's part of that. Obviously, except for SDC Explorer, that will not work because you have to have a real uh, piece of hardware for that. Okay.
6: There'll be another new EOU coming up within a week or two too, so.
11: Okay, yeah, and then people can download that latest image as well if they decide to do this. And, and again, for people that have, um, you know, real Cocoa hardware or MC10 hardware, um, this is, a, it's still a great little device to plug into for that. In fact, my other Raspberry Pi, it's a three, an older one, um, I have my Cocoa 1, 2, and 3 hooked up to it all at the same time, it's actually hosting files. Um, to all three at the same time and the ability to still run the emulator on it with the vector port. So it actually has four sessions in PI drive Wire to do that. So what would you
6: recommend these days given the current pricing, current hardware options as a, a minimum that you know somebody will have a very comfortable COCL experience with? Do you, do you need a four for that, do you think? Or, or is the three perfectly fine? Or does it depend on what you're doing or what? The
11: three will work, but I, I recommend going to the four Uh, The performance difference, to me, from what I see with compiling and things like that, it it really is that much faster. Um, And And
6: minimum RAM, minimum SD card size, any recommendations? Yeah,
11: SD card size, I would say, you know, 32 32 gig um, for this distribution. But, you know, look for sales if there's uh, a special on a 64 gig card, um, again, depending on what you want to do with it. Uh, you'll have extra space for for other things. You know, I just look for things that are, um, you know, on sale through Amazon or whatever. Um, And, you know, look for the, actually Best Buy. There's just quite a few places that you can get SD cards.
9: Yes, SD cards aren't that expensive at all. I picked up a bunch off of Amazon recently. They're about 10, 15 bucks each.
11: Yeah, yeah. No reason to go with the smaller cards now um, because of price. So, yeah, you can see it's extracting everything. Um. So like, how, much well, is it, how
6: much is a Raspberry Pi for these days? And what what RAM configurations did it have? And do you have a recommendation on those?
11: 4 1, meg, 20. I think, would be, you know, it may work, but I thought they had a, did they have a 1 and a 4, I'm sorry, not gig. One, 1, 2. They did have a 2. I know they have the 4. Or yeah, the 8. Yeah, you don't yeah. need 8. Um, you might not even need 4. I, I don't really think you need 4. And certainly not for the emulators.
8: The 2 gig version is $35. And that's, you, you know, not con- con- including the power supply. You
11: no, know, right. The big thing is to get a, a proper power supply. I will tell you a lot of people sometimes will try to use the, you know, they'll buy the non-kit version, save the money to get their Raspberry Pi, and then they'll use like an older, uh, you know, wall wart or whatever for power. You, you can't skimp on power on these things. Um, and, and that's the other thing I'll mention, too. With the Raspberry Pi three that is still slightly overclocked. Uh, I needed it to get the performance with the Raspberry Pi 4 and the 400. You don't have to do that.
3: You do need a USB-C dongle, though.
11: Yeah, it's different for the power. Yep. Yep. So um, so to
6: get a recommended uh, Pi 4, which you'd say would probably be 2 meg or 4 meg, probably would be enough?
11: Yes. And then
6: a 32 gig SD card, which you said around $15 on Amazon right now. Um and you need a separate power supply or whatever. What would it cost somebody that's you know, new to the coke community wants to get into this to get a fully functioning Pi 4 system?
11: I, I would say most kits, if you want to get like your basic um, you know, power supply case, maybe the little heat sinks that you can stick to the board. Um, I don't know, Would will run at about seven, eighty dollars, something like yeah. that.
8: Yeah. When I bought my three, it came the kit was like sixty-nine dollars and it came with everything you needed to get started you know, power supply, uh, HDMI cable, everything you kind of need to get to to be out of the box up and running. And so, yeah, well under a hundred bucks.
6: Okay. The reason I I wanted to ask that is that there's a lot of options these days. There's like Misters, there's um, Matchbox Copas from Roger Mm -hmm. Taylor, there's Pi 3s and Pi 4s. I was just wondering, like, I I know recently I believe the Mister had a bit of a price jump probably due to the chip shortages and stuff here, but well, maybe it's not, it, maybe this is a much cheaper route now these days.
3: Mention in the kit, you also need the, what is it, MHL HDMI connector, not a regular HDMI connector, so.
11: Oh, the new or, one, the smaller one. Yeah, this is not a track in. mode, by the way. I, I set this up a few years ago at Cocoa Fest, and it can load cards, it can load disk images, and as you can see, it's actually typing the commands once you get into the emulator to load the, uh, to load the files, it does all that for you. So it's kind of a neat thing just to have if you're at a little show and you want to just leave something running in the background, and then it'll time out. mame has got a lot of neat features. Xor does too, where you can have it run for a certain amount of time and then exit back out again. Um, I'm exiting out early, and then it's just going to go right down the list. Not sure why I did that little really thing in the script, but it seems to work out a little bit. And I have the uh, track modes for the COCO3, for the MC10. Um, even the Dragon, I think I have some stuff for.
6: Very cool. Does anybody on the panel have any questions or anybody in the chat for that matter if you have any questions? Uh, I did see one from Salvador Garcia. I believe 2-amp power supply is okay. Is that correct?
11: Uh, for Cocoa or for a Raspberry Pi 4, I think it's 2.5. Oh, the other thing I'll mention too is we're talking about real Cocos. Um, this also comes with Jim Brain's TCP Sir, which is basically a modem emulator. So again, for folks that are using real Cocos, you can either access the internet using Pi Drive Wire through Mikey's uh, Michael Fermi's DW term for the MC10 or the Color Computer, or you can actually use um, TCP Sir. With real color computers, real MC10s, as long as they're hooked up to the Raspberry Pi. And then um, even Tim Lindner, who's, who's on here, he's done some stuff where we can run disk extended color basic terminal programs, um, some of them, and use it with that same TCP serve um, through emulation or real real profile. So it's, it's pretty neat.
6: Is that emulating the uh, Bitbanger, port, or is that emulating the RStudio back at that point?
11: Well, for a real Coco, you're not emulating the Bitbanger. What it's doing is you're connected to your color computer um, to the Raspberry Pi through your Bitbanger cable. So that's a real connection, nothing emulated. But then... Okay, but from the Bitbanger, not from a NARS. Right, right. It's actually talking to a fake, like emulated modem. So you can do your outbound helmets and things like that.
7: Yeah, it gives you the AT command set to talk to IP servers.
6: Okay, so you kind of like use, you know, basically a Telnet server, but it's using the AT command set to, to get to the type thing?
11: Uh, it's got a, li- yeah, it's kind of a limited AT command set for doing Telnet and things like that. Um, but the nice thing with that is you can actually, if you're using disk extended color basic, there's some terminal emulator options that allow ANSI, you know, like Twilight Terms and Sockmaster is a big one, um, because a lot of people want the, you know, they want the ANSI support.
6: Yeah, I believe Roger Taylor's NetMate supports that too.
11: It does. Netmates, <laughs> Netmates a, a real challenge, um, as Tim knows, from an emulation standpoint. Um, there, there's I haven't had I've been trying to work on that for Tim for last couple months and work's been real busy, so I haven't been able to spend much time on it. But I actually picked up a scope just to to look at this. That's a whole other discussion. But yeah, NetMate for emulation is It's kind of working now, thanks to Tim, but there's still some things to overcome. And um, Roger, it's just been hard to get information out of Roger, I'm sure he's busy as well.
6: Okay, any further questions? I've been kind of monitoring the chat there. has been talked about power supply requirements.
11: Yeah, and for questions, yeah, the biggest thing, again, work's just been busy the last couple of months, but I'm watching the mailing list now more, um, still on the Facebook um, page for the Cocoa Pie Project. So if people do post messages there, even in Discord, I, I haven't been on as much, but I try to browse into those. And a lot of folks on here know how to get a hold of me as well. Um, I try to be as responsive as I can with that. I want to make sure everybody's got a really good experience. Doesn't mean it's perfect, Again, it's one of those projects where I want people to make it their own if they find it interesting and they want to add stuff or if they have ideas. Um, you know, I, It's just one of those things where it's it can be a somewhat inexpensive way to get into the hobby with the color computer if you don't have real hardware at this time and the price is going up on everything. Um, not that I'm saying emulation is better than real equipment, but sometimes that's that's the entry point to even get into yeah. the cocoa hobby. So well,
6: I think from what I heard that, like I have not followed it myself personally, maybe some people like Frodo in the chat can, can verify or not, but I believe like the Raz or not before, the, the, uh, the, the mister actually jumped like 30 or 40 bucks here just recently. You um, to chip. Oh, that's quite litter.
11: a bit. Well, yeah. You know, I've noticed, well, look at the, you know, without getting too far off topic, I mean, look at the issue that for people with high-end gaming PCs that want, you know, the upscale or the, uh, the video cards, the high-end video cards. I mean, you just can't get them right now. And if you can, the prices are ridiculous.
0: Yeah. I did have
6: one question here from James Jones. He said, is Cocoa Pie 32-bit only? Not sure how far along 64-bit US, formerly known as Raspbian, is, but it might give some advantage.
11: Yeah, there's nothing in the Yeah, the 64-bit support is really just um, not anything I've messed with. There's really nothing... There's not much there for it. I know um, Michael Furman was experimenting with running different distributions of Linux on the Raspberry Pi that are 64-bit. I started to go down that path to see if I could compile a version of mainboard, but some of the video libraries that I needed for accelerated video were not there yet. It's still kind of early.
6: Okay, and Frodo just confirmed, you said the D10 Nano, which is what the Mr. uses, went up by 40 bucks.
11: Yeah, that's, that's quite a bit. Hey,
13: Curtis,
14: since we're talking about pie, um, is there a Saskatoon pie or something?
6: Yeah, Saskatoon berry pie, yeah.
14: Yeah, is it good? Very. What kind of berries?
6: Saskatoon berries. It's kind of a a smaller, sweeter cousin of the blueberry. Cool.
14: My wife asked me to ask you.
6: Okay, (laughs) yeah, no, that's definitely a thing. It was on a show. Great, now you made me hungry, (laughs) Aaron. (laughs) Yeah, uh, okay another one from james jones would it be possible to make a berry bootable version of cocoa pie i don't even know what that means but hopefully you do a
11: berry bootable i do yeah not know what that means.
6: okay i don't either maybe he'll clarify <laughs> and uh tom eric gunderson says yes there's been substantial price jump of the d10 nano for the mister it's around 170 to 190 now and you mm-hmm. said the pie is around 70 complete with the sd card and everything else right yeah
11: well, SD card for a kit like that, you're probably going to get a very small one, if at all. Um, I try to tell people, you know, in the old days, I, I still think they provide kits with the SD cards, but if you if you want to get a larger card, buy the kit without the, the SD card, just buy the SD card stuff.
6: Okay. Uh, Frodo says, it seems the price hike may have been have to do with Intel stopping their subsidizing of the D10 nanoboard, which was originally meant for study purposes, so apparently the subsidy's gone. And that's part of the price act, not just the chip shortages. And then James says, Boot lets you choose the OS you want to boot, like dual booting, Linux, and Windows.
11: Oh, actually, I think I did hear about this project now. I have not tried that. I'll take a look. at. I did see something about that some time ago. So that's not brand new. um, But I have not looked into it. Okay. Any further questions from the panel? Sounds like something for your to-do list then. Yeah, you know, for me, it's just been, as I experiment with different things, because SD cards, like I said, have come down so much, I just power the unit off and swap an SD card. I mean, the other option now, too, with the Raspberry Pi 4, I haven't messed with it yet. You can run other solid-state storage options besides the SD card, which are even faster and high, much higher. You can get higher capacities out of them from a performance standpoint. That may be a way to go, but then again, you start to use up a little bit more desktop real estate. No, not much more, but there is some space considerations there. Okay. I don't see any other questions
6: in the chat. So if nobody else in the panel is, I think we can let you go if you need to get back to work or anything. Yeah, I'll <laughs> so hang out like...
11: for a few extra minutes, but I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.
8: Thank yeah, you. thank you.
11: Thanks.
6: i can't share yet so i'm still waiting
4: yeah okay there you go now you can
6: okay. now robert Allen murphy's not on the call right now is he <clears throat>
10: yeah i am oh you are cool
6: good you're he up snuck, he <laughs> snuck in here a minute ago <laughs> you're up then <laughs> this you is your sp- latest uh, blog update on your on your game project which i always like prefer to have the original authors discuss it because they know much more to how to answer the questions than I do.
10: You weren't even supposed to see this. Where did you find it? <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, a little while back, I got a Mega Mini MPI, and uh, after a rather depressing holiday season, I had taken a break, worked on some RPG projects, but when the Mega Mini came in. I uh, got busy messing with how to program that thing, and I've put some um, test code with some test instrument data and stuff like that up on the Discord, and I'm working out, uh, because it's a very complex chip to program, uh, from basic or assembly, I'm working out an article for the Glenside newsletter to kind of walk through what... The the big difference is, so the core piece of the Mega Mini MPI sound is if you take the equivalent of two ad-libs and stick them in your Cocoa at once. And programming one ad-lib is not so bad. Programming two ad-libs is not so bad either, but trying to choke all that down at once with their very sparse data sheet is really painful. So it took about a week or two to get through all of that and uh, took some interesting side roads down the history of FM sound synthesis and uh, just along those lines and got some working code up, uh, had some folks check that out. Uh, Tom C, for example, likes to do a lot of uh, MIDI related things, and so he's aware of some of the things that you can get away with with one of these chips. So he was able to to get some of that working with his Mega Mini, so I was able to get some verification there. So it looks like earlier in my blog, I had posted that the Mega Mini would be the sound chip that got away. I wouldn't be able to include driver for it, but, uh, well, then I made a liar out of myself. (laughs) And then to scroll down a little more, while I was messing with all of that, running across some of the FM sound synthesis stuff, uh, got me back onto how the DAC works and some of the frequency and wave synthesis stuff for that. So uh, I ran across a little bit more of the things that I wanna play with there and improved kind of some of the features I wanna include in the DAC driver that I'm using. So that was kind of fun. Um, and then I left a little challenge at the bottom of that. And then the last piece of this update is that uh, I was slogging on through the main menu screen Uh, I mean, the main game level screen and uh, building up those pieces. And that's coming along real well. I'm now working on the random number generator for placing cargo in the cargo holds. And uh, I've got plenty of random number code to play with, but I'm looking at a variation of David Crane's old pitfall linear feedback shift register just for the nostalgia of having pitfall-like code in there as well. Because uh, it's it works very similar to how the Microsoft basic random works without having to use the really terrible convert everything to float and convert everything back. So uh, I'm trying to keep it kind of, kind of keep it real, but have a little fun with it as well. So, so this that, is
6: based on 60-bit on integers then,
10: this particular one? Uh, actually, 8-bit. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. There's not a huge need for a large data set of random numbers in the way that my game is working, or in Pitfall. So the the numbers that Pitfall chose were specifically chosen to use all 255 values of the shift register uniquely to make one wraparound world. So all 250, uh, 256, or 255. There's no zero there. Uh, all those screens exist in Pitfall. And they're each individually generated uh, forward and backward from that shift register. And that's all he needed. And that's, he used every inch of it and got the entire world in 30 something bytes, 30, 30 I, to I wonder
6: bytes. if that's the same one they used in Rescue and Fractless, though, too then, because that's also a 255 entry table. And uh, I know that the, the uh, maps like the height depth maps for the yeah. actual thing, a 16 by 16 grid is also, you know, Kind of pseudo random, but it always comes out the same. Oh, so that well, you can, can generate your levels in order. Good. So it sounds like it's the same algorithm.
10: I can send you the algorithm, and there's there are what are, there's what's called taps in these shift registers. And taps are the points where you take the current value, pull it out at that bit position, and feed it back in. Right. And so this these particular algorithms have a number of taps that generate different amounts of data set. And the David Crane's algorithm specifically has 16 different taps you can use. So it might be the same algorithm, just using it, different. It taps.
6: sounds familiar. And I, to be honest, I didn't know what that was. I just tried to document when I was you know, disassembling it. I should yeah. share you the source I've got in practice. Actually it might even already be on the EOU if you want to take a look.
10: Yeah. And I'll, I'll send you what I got. It's, it's very much that, but the game that I'm converting uses a very simple put a couple of cargos in these spots and then blank out a couple of things to kind of try to make a random cargo arrangement each time you run the, the level. And it, there's not a whole lot to it. So 256 values that you'll, if you play enough levels through, you'll get the repeatability of it. But as long as I keep reseeding it, it, you you'll probably just notice like a run of similar values here, a run of similar values there, and I don't expect people to play that many levels of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's basically it. Is uh, back in the saddle, did a lot of sound work, and uh, I've got some random number and other stuff coming up, and uh, some timer stuff that goes with it because that's what's after the random number is also the the countdown timer, and cool. then the level will start to to start to come together. Cool.
6: Well, I'm glad you got back onto it because, I mean, a lot of us went through some rough times this last year that uh, kind of slowed some of our projects down.
10: Yeah, well, it's, I, I got caught up in uh, some online courses that I'm taking as well. And uh, they're really fantastically fun and interesting and have a lot of homework with them. And so rather than drag it out for like two years, I kind of knocked it all out in about three months but it did kind of just pretty much take over
6: everything for a while. Yeah. Actually, as a completely aside side note, too, uh, for those who haven't heard yet, uh, Rick Adams' wife passed away. Oh, yeah. Just a, what is it? Yesterday, I think it was? Yeah. The day before? Oh, so Rick. Our, con- our condolences to Rick and the family. We're very
10: sorry, Rick.
8: Yeah, he's uh, – I've been – I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's been posting – quite regularly about her condition so she's been in pretty bad shape for the last few months and recently she took kind of a turn so at least all you know all her pain is gone now so as i know she was enduring a lot of pain anyway i mean
6: didn't mean to put a downer on your article there uh... (laughs) mr
10: murphy oh that's all right being being on it is downer enough (laughs) on to something fun Okay. I
6: mean, thanks for the I'm really looking forward to looking at some of your Mega Mini MPI stuff because I do want to start trying to design with Bill a Nitrous 9 sound system of API calls that'll be common between the various sound cards, but is expandable enough to use the extra features on some of the more advanced cards, like the Mega Mini.
10: Yeah, some but of that supports sound channels already, but yeah, I'll help sweep it all together. <laughs> okay, cool.
6: Hey, next up, uh, Paul Shoemaker has put up a video showing his early efforts on his upcoming Coco VGA version of his poker squares. So, if those who do not know the history, he released the original Coco squares for the Coco 3 back last year, and then just you know, in the last couple of weeks, he released the Coco 1 and 2 version. So, now he's kind of doing an enhanced Coco 1 and 2 version using Coco VGA in 16 color mode, which is one of Ron Delvaux's favorites. So, Uh-oh. and he's actually added in something that the other two versions don't have, he's actually added some um, animations on the face cards, which we'll show you in this brief video. To so see that the king is like swinging his sword and talking and... and I know he had to kind of rejigger the size because the, the mode that he's using is only 128 by 96. And I mean, on the Coco 3 version with 16 colors like this has, uh, he had, you know, 320 by 225. He was using that particular case. We couldn't quite fit the same cards with the fancy faces as much as he could on the original. But this is a quite a nice compromise from the looks of it here. Where he's got you know, basically the basic card structure like the Cocoa 1 and 2 version, but then he's got the kind of special side thing for the, the face cards. And the animation's cool too. So you might have to revisit his Coke 3 version and add that. It's an addictive game too. <laughs> yeah, I saw that you actually got a Royal Flush, didn't you? I did, yeah. And you didn't even cheat and like modify the code to do that? No, no. I just
8: <laughs> I just played it and went for the royal flush. I so like if if it gave me a king of spades, I'd pick a row that was clean and put the king of spades down and then it put things in other rows and then if I got like a queen of spades, I'd put that in. So it's a matter of, you know, kind of going for it and then getting lucky enough to have the card the hidden card be one of one you're needing, yeah. Yeah, when I flipped the card, and I, because the card I needed was a jack of spades, and uh when I flipped the card and saw it was the jack of spades, I only needed one more card to uh, fill it out. Then, so I just kept playing the game. It gave me the card I needed, and boom, there I was. <laughs> yeah, I haven't even got close to that. Mind you, I haven't played it too much, but yeah, I never was good at poker anyway. <laughs> yeah, I binged on it for like two days. And like halfway through the second day, I got that uh, that royal flush. Cause yeah, because I
6: think Paul even mentioned he's never had a royal flush on yeah. himself. Yeah, <laughs> that's so.
8: why I post <laughs> kind of a you know it's possible slash jab <laughs> to Paul. <laughs> yeah, I got one.
6: <laughs> that's your version of the game on challenge from Buck Owens. Basically, there you go. <laughs> Okay, next up, uh, Erico has been working on his uh, semi graphics 4, like the low res standard 4K Coco stuff uh, version of his karate fighting game. Uh, he did a live uh, developer's video on YouTube showing some actual test gameplay uh, using his animations and stuff here. So I'll just uh, skip the first part of the stream and just go straight into some of the test animation footage he did. And I should mention he's actually got a, a blog post up now too which I unfortunately didn't put in here. I don't know why I must have forgotten to put it in, but he's actually kind of got laid out. He's going to have different sections. He's got four basic sections or areas that he goes into. And each of those is two screens that actually link up side by side. I'm not, I don't know if he's going to end up scrolling this over. He's just going to flip to the next one, but basically you're traveling through this world of four different areas uh, to accomplish the goal in the game. So there'll be a bit more variety and the graphics are quite nice. They're themed differently from each other too. So. But you can see he's got like the the energy bars for the players underneath working. So once you're all red, you're dead type thing. So, and this is all in basic, no ML. Um, You know, plays at a fairly decent clip. It actually looks pretty decent animation wise. Definitely far better than I'd ever expect for SG4. The animation
9: is is realistic in that it's, you know, exactly what's going on.
6: Yeah. He I mean, it's a limited res. res there. That's amazing. <laughs> when a
14: body falls,
6: it it plops. Yeah, and then cool. it ends up laying on its side. You can actually tell that, too. Yeah. I'm considering these graphics are, what, like 8 pixels by 10 or something? <laughs> that's, right. that's amazing. The
3: old Atari should have had graphics
6: this good. Yeah, he's falling on his side. You can see he's one leg tucked in type thing. It's... It's amazing how much the human mind can extrapolate that into higher res than it really is.
8: Yeah. That's what I was just thinking.
6: And as we mentioned last week, he actually got featured on a retro magazine in Brazil. Uh, on the cover, actually, it's one of the cover stories. Not, not the main one, but one of the cover stories for this, this game in progress. So, you know, kudos to him.
14: That should keep his interest going, right?
6: Yeah. Next step, I mentioned earlier when I was talking to John, so actually I'm kind of remembering this. Um, Cuthbert Dragon, who, who had done all these ones, and he's using real hardware, real dragons filmed on real TVs. So you get to see some of the sun glare from his blinds behind him and stuff here too. Uh, but he kind of cleans up his page once every couple months. For some reason, he just goes and wipes all of his videos out, and then he redoes them again, and then he wipes them out again, and then he redoes them again. And sometimes he was doing themes where he's doing pairs of games that are kind of related to each other. Now he seems to be back to the single um so he's got a a bunch of them up he's put up here in the last week that you can see here including a few that i had not seen before which is kind of cool because he seems to have some of the more obscure ones now there's one in specific i wanted to show john because it was the uh semi-graphics version of qbert since that was our game from this last week with pyramids called pogo joe so i thought i'd show a little bit of that for people who have not seen it And this is one that I mentioned has different layouts. Once you go between screens, the layout of the cubes goes completely differently. So it's it's not just a fixed triangle all the time. And you notice there's a lot of like one-way dead ends and stuff too, which is gets very dangerous. I sure hope they don't have a death square.
7: So the white element is the player?
6: Uh, yeah, I believe so. green agree oh, okay yeah i haven't actually played this yet i've just seen videos of it so one of these days when i get that far in my games page i'll have to try it out. but one of the better looking uh, semi-graphics 24 arcade ports i think
14: and it's got music
6: sort of yeah a little bit of a uh, decent sound i mean the, the, the basic sound when you're playing is pretty simple but uh animations are pretty good i mean they're obviously different you couldn't do a cubert style pointy nose etc on semi-graphics because your pixels are so wide but using the spring motive actually works pretty good
8: yeah and the 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 little cubes are come out well in semi-graphic in that mode yeah Let's
6: fast forward to another one. You can see some of the more complicated ones. I can't remember how many screens it has. I think it's mentioned
8: in the World of Dragon
6: archive, but it's quite a few. Anyway, really good game. Anyway, some of the ones I'd not seen before that were new to me, and there's three in particular I just wanted to show quickly here. And he's added some other ones just this morning, so I haven't even looked at them all. North Sea Action is actually—I'm trying to remember the name of the original game because this is a a game that's been on like the C64 and a bunch of others. It's also got an arcade equivalent, Um, but I think we have shown that particular one before. So I'll skip on to some of these other ones
5: here.
6: Guardian Angel—this is one I'd not seen before. Just kind of a scramblish style
7: lovely side-scroller kind of i've seen at least of um uh, polaris
6: yeah there's there's at least three scramble games on the dragon that never came out on the cocoa that i know of one is another semi graphics 24 one um and then ones a P mode three like this and then this one which is a new version i hadn't seen before but this one has a few little extra aliens that come after you that you don't normally see and you got a refueling thing there. That's different than Scramble. Remember, you shoot the fuel pod there, you have to actually go on down and
8: get your fuel. Oh, a la like Gravatar.
6: Yeah. So it's, it's a nice combo of a couple of arcade games kind of mixed into one. So it's a pretty,
11: pretty unique experience.
7: Nice sound effects.
6: No, it looks like a good game. Like I said, I haven't seen that once in a while. There's a bunch. Like, There's so many games I haven't got in my archive yet. It's just insane. And they, people keep making new ones, and I'm never catching up.
7: <laughs> Nick. Especially
6: Nick. <laughs> Sorry.
12: <laughs> I think there was another. Um, go back to that list yeah. What's Blockhead? Is that another Cuba game?
6: Yeah, that's a Cocoa 1 and 2 game. It's normally artifacted colors, but that's my computer. Oh, room. okay yeah i I'm not upset. then a uh, mission attack i don't think we've seen before which is kind of a xevious style a bit simpler though it's kind of choppy but
10: at least nick nick named his new game starting with a z so you've got some time
6: <laughs> yeah that's right i'm roughly doing alphabetical order why well, captain having to keep backtrack in fact there'll be one coming up here i'll be uh, demoing on the show here within the next few weeks that uh, once i get it up on the page I'll, I'll put up it's a bit of a surprise there's a bit of a strange history behind it and it's a recent one and it's not by nick <laughs> Like I said, this is a bit of a simpler one. Uh, and you know, the graphics are a bit coarser, They're not, it's not smooth, but still it's a new zevia style clone where you shoot chips and stuff that I've never seen before. And then the last one that I wanted to show was Laser Run. This one's in basic, I believe. So it kind of reminds me of the Illustrated Memory Banks um game that was quite similar. I'm trying to remember the name of the stupid thing. by Fred curvebo, I believe. Apparently it's not going to load, so maybe I won't show you. another oh, way
7: Trench run.
6: Yeah, advanced start trench warfare. That was the name of the Pinewood Four artifact. One that uh, Rainbow had a mini version of it published in the August '82 addition, I think, and then they actually, uh, I illustrate Memory Bank sold it as a commercial game in the very early days of the Coco, when you could still get away with selling basic games, other than adventures. But it shows you that you can you can do a fairly decent little arcade game in, in basic, even sudo three D. And I believe here he's he's using a lower res mode so that he can page flip four animation sequences, so it makes the trench look smoother than just blinking between two.
7: You can sort of see get put being used for the spaceship yeah use the force luke use the force no bigger than a womp rat
6: oh i thought he said farce oh, that's what i've been doing all <laughs> these years.
9: but the womp rats don't shoot back
6: so anyway like i said there's there's a ton of games he's covered here some of these are cocoa ports you know usually the mode three because they didn't have artifacting Quite a few semi-graphics games like Star Swoop, which we've shown before, uh, Star Defense, Cop to Snatch, which is a scramble clone in semi-graphics 24, uh, and then some you know the Cocoa ones, a like ghost attack, which is basically pack attack renamed for the dragon market. But quite a, quite a few interesting ones in there. And uh, like I said, I don't know how long these last, so if you want to check them out, check out some uniquely dragon games, go do it quick before he wipes the page out again. Next up, uh, this is a, a little bit of a game update from Jim Gary for his MC-10 um, Mahjong game, which I, for some reason, typed MC-19 in my notes. Don't ask me why I did that. Uh, but basically what he's done here is he's changed the sound a little bit and he's actually got a bit of a question for people that are trying the game out here to see if, if this is a good idea or not. So he's done a slight tweak. It now beeps when you select and then when you match, that's, that's fine, that just makes it a, a bit of an audio cue that you've clicked on something. But he also has the two sounds now are on a continuous rising tone based on the number of tiles. He's not sure if that's a good thing to help raise tension or if it's just annoying. So he's asking for some feedback um, on the comments on the YouTube there if you want to tell him if he should leave the tones consistent or should they keep going up in pitch as you're pulling tiles off. So I'll play a little bit just in kind of here. It's it's very brief sound. but I'm not sure if this is a compiled version or the basic version I thought yet. Here. Oh, you so you can hear that the tone went up slightly as he selected the next tile, and basically it just keeps increasing in frequency as you go through so he's wondering should it be a consistent thing where it's just a single beep of a fixed tone every time you select and every time you take a pair off or does it does it add to the tension of the game at all that he's going up in pitch so if you have any feed, feedback thoughts on that please uh give him a comment on his youtube page Next up, um, Brennan Donahue has received his copy of Sheldon McDonald's, and we've covered his Treasure Island defense here. Um, he's actually selling the um, Game Master cartridge version of it, and it's a Coco VGA enhanced game. So this is, uh, as as Brennan mentions for me, this is a very satisfying set of firsts, all in one package: the first ROM pack ever to take advantage of the Coco VGA, the first complete game to take advantage of the Coco VGA VG Six sixteen color mode. Um, and then also the first Coco cartridge game using the GMC for background music. Uh, there was another one uh, by uh, who's doing the Circe's uh, Island. I'm to remember the, it's not Kieran. It's um, shoot, Steve Bamford, Bamford. right? Bamford, right? Some guy who did Flag Invert, I believe. So he's been it's working on ready. one, but it's not ready yet. So, but I thought the, the design of the cartridge is quite cool. He's even got a carrying case that's included with the 3D printed here on the right hand side, you can see here. And then the cartridge slides into that. So instead of having a cardboard box, you actually have a solid plastic case, which is kind of cool. And then he's done quite a unique case design here with all the you know, little you know, lines and grip parts here. And, and then of course the stickers of stuff on it. So it's, it's not a standard Tandy cartridge. We've had a few unique cartridge designs in the past. Uh, one that strikes me off the top of my head is John Strong's um, Bomb Threat, which is kind of a minefield style game. We actually, you know, the little thumb grips on the sides to pull the cartridge out because in Tandy just had a little you know, indentation if they had anything at all. Uh, but he actually made them shape like little bombs, you know, to kind of fit the uh, the theme of the game. And this one actually has a com- quite a radically different design. And uh, the, so that's basically a picture of what you get. You get the uh, cartridge case holder, you get the cartridge itself, you get the little color manual, and there's a screenshot of the game in action running Coco VJ on a Coco One. It's uh, 128 by 96 16 color graphics it is, you know, sound effects and, and music and stuff in the background based on the GMC. He's got a PSG version in the works too, um, which I, I think is already working. I don't know if he's selling that yet. It is. It is. Oh,
10: okay, yeah, he, he is starting to sell the PSG version. Okay, cool. It is a lot of fun.
14: And by the way, that little cards uh, laminated and it fits in the program pack holder.
10: Yeah, the instruction sheet is dual-sided laminated. It's also um, for young eyes. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> bold
14: print is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> no, we're talking about tiny print. <laughs> but if you take a picture of it, you can look at it really easy.
6: <laughs> yeah, I have just got the outside here, so I can't see that. But... No, it's it's really cool. We're seeing, uh, you know, we've we've seen a resurgence of cartridges ever since uh, John Linville kind of came up with getting the. Uh, plastic molded ones and then some other people also done the uh, 3d printed ones in the past too so we've seen a resurgence of, of, of cases for um, games and stuff being a collector's item versus just getting a digital download or a disc version or something like that and uh, it, it's nice seeing some original designs come here that are going way above and beyond what was on you know any of the standard Tandy ones and also now adding the extra hardware like sound cards et cetera. so you can actually enhance the game far beyond what you would have done on the coco anyway unless you added a multi pack and a sound speech pack which are pretty rare items these days, and most people can't get that. And of course, these sound chips are set up in such a way that if you do happen to have a multipack, you get one of Ed's or one of the commercial ones from days gone by, you can actually have those cards in the multipack and other games from disc or cassette, theoretically can access them and actually generate the sound through them
10: too. So, I mean, it's actually a hardware enhancement it's card as well as game. It works. Sorry, what was that? About? It's not theoretical, it does work. You can use them as sound cards. As long right. as you don't cool. boot from
6: that slot. Cool. So once we get some Nitros Nine drivers or some just basic drivers that people can run in their own basic programs and stuff, you could start you know jamming this out. All you have to do is buy one of these games. And it's really cool to see the shipping, and uh, I didn't realize you had a little cartridge carrying plastic case too to hold the cartridge itself. That that was a surprise to me. Next up, Tim Linder here, who's actually on the uh, show today, did something I very rarely see him do, which is play games. So uh, he, and maybe Tim, since you're here, you can explain what what prompted this. Uh, you did uh, Arcanide, both the Cocoa 3 version and the Cocoa 1 and 2 version videos. So.
7: Well, it's really simple. I was um, I was testing the game out in MAME, and it had a low noise floor where it just, um, you know, some I, you can almost call it clicking. And for a couple hours there I thought it was a bug in name, but then I tried it on a real computer and, and
6: there it was. Yeah, that's that kind of background noise that he had. Yeah, the background mm-hmm. noise. Is that the one bit sound you didn't know? No,
7: it's, uh... it's it's done through the DAC and um it's it's on purpose. And the first time I heard Steve do this is on popcorn. Yeah, right. And um, I don't know why it's here. I I think the game would be better if it were, if it didn't have it. Um, but as you can see, a lot of there's a lot of noise with firing the cannon.
6: Yeah, you don't really notice this much in here. Popcorn, you definitely do.
7: Yeah. So I I posted these to remind myself of, of what this game sounds like.
6: <laughs> <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, MAME and some of the emulators did play the background ticking sound way too loud compared to the regular sound. I think that's been fixed now.
7: Yeah, I, I I think what MAME is doing these days is really accurate.
6: And of course, then the Cocoa 1 and 2 version has the uh, same thing, so that's where a little
7: Yeah, it was really nice that you got two versions of this game on cartridge.
6: Yeah, was, I was surprised that wasn't done more often. There's a few games that did it. Sokoban did it, uh, Arkanoid did it, Tetris did it. I think, was there any others? fat I We
7: think should so. also mention that it was just recently discovered that the COCO3 Gimme X um, causes a problem with Arkanoid. The COCO3 version of Arkanoid, it, it it plays the COCO2 version because of the probe routine is, is returning the wrong, the wrong value.
6: Yeah, I didn't realize he was using trying to read and write palette registers to figure out if he had a COCO3 or not. So that was a bit of an odd one. I mean, I think there's a bit more reliable and easier ways to tell if you have a Coke 3 or not.
7: It worked at the time.
6: Yeah. Unfortunately, it sounds like Ed's not going to be able to fix that in the Gimme X. So that's just going to be a thing. If you have the real cartridge, you'll be stuck on the coca 1 2 version on the Gimme X.
7: Yeah, I downloaded the disc version of this game, and it, it gives you a prompt uh, on which one you want to run uh, one or three.
6: Okay, so it does run properly on the Gimme X if you use the uh, disk version.
7: I am going to assume yes. I do not have a Gimme X yet.
6: (laughs) (laughs) I know he's been shipping quite a few and there's quite a few out in the wild now besides us original year ago beta testers for it, so. Yep. Next step, raw footage of poltergeists for the tier city color computer. Now this is a channel I'd never heard of before, though it's apparently fairly popular because it has over 18,000 subscribers. And it's uh, called Water Cooler Films. And they have a podcast of their own, which is basically called BMF, which stands for Bad Movie Fiends. And basically they try to hunt down, you know, crappy movies or movies that are a bit more or less known. And then they've got some side podcasts that they also do that seem to cover like video games related to these, these movies or you know, there's some other sub subjects, basically, but it's based on around that main theme of, of movies and doing reviews of them. And the, the sub division of it that this one is, is called Take Me to Your Leaderboard, which I thought was a kind of a cool name. Um, and basically, it's just raw footage of playing Poltergeist itself. So I won't play that because we've, we've seen Poltergeist played like dozens of times on the channel already. But it's kind of an interesting concept. Uh, speaking of that rattling noise in the background. Um it's, it's kind of an interesting concept that they've got here that they're actually doing um, a movie based podcast for reviewing movies kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 type thing, but they've got this little side thing that if there's any video games based the movies they actually will throw that in as part of the podcast that's kind of an interesting approach. They're not a video game podcast per se, they're a movie podcast, they happen to be incorporating the video game side of things. Um, so it's a pretty interesting one. I have never watched any of their episodes. I just found that this morning, so I haven't had a chance to even try to see if I've seen anything. I don't know if the Poltergeist episode's even up yet. I haven't gone through their list of all their different uh, movies that they've covered. So far, they are you know, 100 plus episodes in. Um, but I did put some links in in the notes which Mark will post as well for the link to their podcast page. And they also have a Patreon page that you can get some extra features if you give them a, you know, a few bucks a month, I think five, five tiers or whatever. So if you're interested in movies, as well as video games, that might be a podcast for you to try. And I've never heard of it before, and just happened to find it because it had Poltergeist there. And the last one here is their uh, their main one, Bad Movie Fiends. So this is kind of some examples here. It's also you know available on iTunes, etc. Here too, uh, you can see some of the different like episode one seventy seven of the BMC Cast Extra. This is episode thirty eight of the Variety Hours. So they've got a bunch of different sub podcasts based on the same things there. And I did take a quick look and I don't think I saw anything of guys yet. So I'm assuming that footage is for an upcoming episode. So I'll keep an eye out for it and then we'll see what that's all about. But like I said, if you're into movies and you're into video games and you're into video games based on movies, it might be a good podcast to guess, check out. And that's all I had for the Game On News. Yay! Does Mark around
10: or
4: yeah I'm, I'm, I'm up i'm up i'm
7: up
9: i'm up <laughs> yeah
6: can you wake up nick while you're at it too or um Newsy, Newsy. <laughs> so do we want to go straight into the news or did you want a commercial break first what do you want
4: to uh do? it's been uh, about an hour since the last commercial break so
6: and now this message hi it's chris Boyle, part of the uh, coco tech crew of people
1: hey everybody this is bill noble Co-author of Nitrous Nine, you are listening to Coco Talk Live, the leading live Coco Talk Show.
0: Good day, mates! This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS 9. 9. OS 9 and its current incarnation Nitrous 9 is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use! I find OS 9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual, and yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Fun Star, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Hi, this is Max
1: Jackson live from Cocoa and you listen to the real game, Steve Stroh.
13: We're traveling through a dimension both of sound and ideas. We're at a place where the mind can comprehend and devise a solar radio, a wireless transmitter, measure time and light. Sixty-five electronic projects brought to reality with this science fair kit. Astonishing? Perhaps. But you can find it for Christmas, for 1795, in a place that's known as Radio Shack. Radio, stereos, recorders, everything in sound.
5: A whole new approach. Faster than ever.
8: A window to a world of possibilities. Clear
2: your expectations.
13: You today at lcurtisboyle.com.
8: Hi, this is Sean Wheatley, and
5: you're
13: listening to Coco Talk with the original <laughs> gamer Stevie Streber. From
5: around the
13: world, what you need
14: to know.
5: Get caught up on news from El Curtis Boyle.
0: And now a Muppet news flash.
4: all right take it away curtis
6: tell you i'll make a quick mention that's not in my news notes here um because boat did tell me about it and i forgot to throw it in there because i was kind of rushed this morning um but on that uh weekly podcast that him and uh, rmc guy neil from the uk do called this week in retro one of the discussion topics they had recently on the latest episode is on uh the fact that the mister actually has some commercial cores as well as the freebie ones like there's a free cocoa one and two core for example that dave shadoff in our um discord actually is one of the people that's involved with that but they were going through like what are some of the ones that are you know, you might have to pay a few bucks to help the developer along type thing that are worth it and boat had mentioned specifically that roger taylor's cocoa three core was one of the ones that he deemed is worth it because so basically if you join his thing for one month for five dollars you can get the core so it's, it's a nice cheap way to get a, a COCO3 core on your MISTER that's quite compatible. So I wanted to mention that first, or forgot. again. Wait. Right, so first up, Henry Reichfeld put up a video uh, showing his COCO3 surfing the web through Action Retro's Frogfind Find search engine, which is made for vintage computers. And we've kind of, uh, there's been a lot of you know, discussion about this because they had a lot of you know old Macs and, and the older Amigas and stuff like that running really old browsers. Now the modern web has been so, change and it's got so much advanced features on it that trying to use an old browser on it pretty well just doesn't work. You can't do anything. So the way Frogfind works is that it actually will read the page itself onto its own little server and then parse out all the crap and then basically just present you know the raw text basically. So it strips ads. <laughs> like if you want to do really fast news, this is actually quite a nice way to do it. And the nice thing is that because it strips it down to the text level, you can now log into it using a Lynx browser, uh, you know, from any you know, Unix or Linux system. And then you can use a VT100 compatible terminal program to log into links from the Coco. And that's kind of what uh, Henry did here. So he's showing this, I think he's using Vterm, which is Tim Kunz, Tim Cancel's uh, VT100 emulator that he had commercially available back in the late eighties. Um, there's other ones too, that are also worked by like KBcom. Um, Buddy Kunz, in uh, uh, nit- I was nine nitrous nine, and I think some of the ANSI ones are fairly close, so you might be able to use like a netmater or a twilight terminal or something like that as well. But anyway, here's uh, actually just doing some uh, a little sample of actually locking into the web today's web using a coco 3 via that engine. So using Frog Find the search engine for vintage computers. Now, just to be clear the coco itself is not processing the html pages itself it's just processing just the text that's being sent to it with vt100 control codes for doing like inverse video and moving the cursor around and you know drawing the text itself type thing but uh but actually you know, like you have to tap through the links and stuff and bring up pages i've i've seen it running on wikipedia and stuff if you want to like look up you know text information right from your coco itself it'd be a perfect companion piece i guess for the uh the wi-fi and uh, ethernet based, um, or even drive wire based for that matter, you know, links to getting onto the net directly from the Cocoa itself. So if you viewed your game pages through it yet? I, way back in the day when I first was doing it, cause I actually was using links in my Cocoa, I actually went on my game pages and I actually used to use KBCom to view them through links like this. And this is what it looks like basically pretty close. And that one, I actually had the advantage too, because I could actually tell it to download a graphic link. And as long as I made them GIFs, I could go to another window, run the view utility or GIF OS 9 or any of these other GIF viewing utilities. And I could actually view the picture in a different window. Eventually I wanted to get that all amalgamated into one and have it scale and stuff like that too, which would be slow. And it also required a ton of disk space. So I never really did got too far with it. Now that the STC is a standard and we know we have like 128 meg on a nitrous nine partition pretty well by default if you have UOU. Uh, I might consider going back and revisiting that here and using something like this, actually come up with a very primitive graphic thing as long as it's just simple GIFs. So we'll have to see, but yeah, you definitely could. Next step, Um, this is gonna be a twofer basically. So the first part here, Simon Jonasson who showed us a little bit of his uh, trick based on what Karen had done earlier too, of uh, fooling the VDG uh, line counter by switching modes in the horizontal border so that you can actually create the illusion of smooth scrolling on a VDG screen. Because when you switch to a graphic screen, it resets the counter. Whereas the VDG is kind of keeping track of how many scan lines down it's going. So it always displays the same pieces of the characters in the same spot on the screen every time within a character cell vertically. So this is a little demo that he did here, kind of showing it. Still a little bit of uh, you know, finessing he has to do yet, but you can kind of see it's definitely smooth scrolling. A little bit of glitching at the top. So, uh, John Lurie, and you can comment on this too. He decided to be a smartass and he came on and said, yeah, I can do that <laughs> in the Cocoa 3 easily enough too because that's, uh, of course, a built-in feature on the gimme. <laughs> so he called it boing, 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 boing. And if I remember correctly, you're just using the LPR setting of how many scan lines per character, right? And you're just increasing, decreasing?
8: Yeah, and when it pushes the screen up, it, it draws the memory below it into view. So I had to poke a bunch of spaces in there so that you didn't see the inverse at symbols that were because when it, at first, when I ran it, you could see the memory below it. Yeah, you had to you clear know, whatever it out first, garbage yeah. was there. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you poke a bunch of 96s in there. Believe it or oddly enough, not 32, which is a space ASCII yeah. for space. If you do that, it comes out inverted. So, you have to do 96 to get. Yeah,
6: the, even the VDGs kind of like that too. Um, some of the stuff you poke in is not quite what you're expecting, it's not straight yeah. ASCII right so, so this this was not a machine language program though right this is just basically no, it's, uh, it,
8: the the uh, i put the listing there ron wanted to see the listing it, and i threw up the listing it's just a poke to a um uh, the vertical the scroll register
6: yeah, it's definitely a neat effect and it's definitely easier to do on a Coco 3 than it is on a Cocoa 1 and 2. That requires some oh, yeah,
8: Oh yeah, no. Uh, definitely Simon's the the master when it comes <laughs> to the, I'm just playing around.
6: Yeah. <laughs> and we showed last week when when uh Kieran did that. Well, he actually did it quite a while ago, They re-recorded it on real hardware, even showing composite colors now. But he actually showed it, you're running in the graphics mode doing that too, where he's actually doing the simulated smooth scrolling by just changing you know the start positions and stuff too. And he actually had sprites flying across the screen at the same time too. Doing a quote-unquote hardware scroll on a coco one and two so that looks like another bit of untapped potential either for demos or for some games mm-hmm. tricks they're all tricks exactly all programming's tricks okay next up we have uh for any uk or european listeners that have managed to pick up a coco 3 with only 120k over the years um, it's quite expensive to ship. And we mentioned this last week, it's quite expensive to ship a 512 or higher you know, RAM upgrade for the COCO-3 from the States to Europe. Like It's more than the cost of the board by quite a large margin in most cases. So Karen had taken it upon himself because he just got a COCO-3, I think from Bryza, a PAL one, so he can run it properly in England. And he wanted to upgrade to 512K. So he kind of prototyped on, designed a board. And then he got, a, you know, I think, five boards in his prototypes. And much to his surprise, the first one worked. So he has his machines upgraded, it's tested, it's running 512k programs just fine. Uh, but now he's got these extra boards he thought he would be using to tweak the design type thing. And now he decided, well, since I got one and I needed one, maybe there's a few other people in Europe that have gotten, you know, 128k CO3s over the years of the PAL variety, or maybe even NTSC for that matter, and want to get it without having to pay exorbitant shipping costs, plus all the delays we're experiencing with overseas shipping these days. So he's actually got his few other prototypes for sale, two at this current time base price is 17 pounds 50 and the shipping will vary a little bit so this is the total price with shipping including the board itself and it varies if you're doing first class second class if you want to track need a signature required etc but it's definitely a lot cheaper it would cost that much just to ship a board from the states if not more um, plus the board itself so this is literally be about half the cost of what you'd have to pay to ship like a triad plus or is any boomerang e2 still kicking around or even some of uh, ed snyder's new two and eight meg boards so um i didn't even realize he had this for sale page here i don't know how i missed it but he's actually selling his dungeons for the dragon and tandy Coco here with you know a custom cassette and the cassette uh you know um what do you call it the folded part inside there with the directions and nice color cover and stuff on it too so the j card yes that's it thank you i should yeah, know well, that we used to make them those work years ago <laughs> you are cool yeah, I, I just didn't realize he actually had a, a sale page on his site because he's got all those X stuff and other things so here. Plus that small scrolling demo, smooth uh, scrolling demo. Sorry. Um, so I didn't even know had that, but that's kind of neat. He's got that. I can now refer people to it if they want to order dungeons or anything else that he's got going. This was an interesting one. This is a bit of history that I I faintly remember reading about this way way back, and it might have been byte or creative computing or some one of the general magazines we used to get at school um from way early this is from 1981 so the ss50 bus and some of you people on the panel probably know it a lot better than i do but that was a, a bus system that was fairly standard in a lot of the earlier 8-bit machines especially cpm machines etc from the late 70s i'm guessing from about 75 to maybe 83 or something like that
7: well wasn't the s100 bus yeah. um, um cpm yeah, they- uh, orientated Yes. Yeah, this the is S100. the cut-down
3: version of the S100, actually.
7: Sort of suited for the 6809,
3: right? Yep. Smaller computers that don't have a crap load of RAM. And, you know, I remember yeah. lusting after this at one point.
10: <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah, because, I mean, it was, it was a standard bus for hooking various types of hardware, including RAM and stuff, as they mentioned on the app here. But if you think back into, into the time this was out, which was in 81, which is you know, within six to eight months of when the, the Cocoa One was released, Tandy was only selling machines of four and 16K and extended basic, and that's it. There was no disk drives, it wouldn't be disk drives for another year. Um, so this actually allowed you to upgrade memory up to 48K. This allowed you to add an 80 column card, um, composite video out, um, disk drives, RAM, and basically anything else that would be on standard buses. I, like, I, do you guys know what other machines would have used the SS-50 bus back in the day?
8: Uh, well, Don,
7: Southwest Technical Products might have used
9: it. Yes, yeah, Smoke Signal, I
8: think, too. Well, Don French said at the at the, the first handy Assembly that he wanted the Model 1 to use the S-100, but Handy wanted to go with their own proprietary thing, but he had already had it worked out to um, for the Model 1 to have the S100 bus interface. I really
3: don't remember the details, but I think S100 wasn't that 32-bit addressing, and the S50 was 16-bit. I have no idea. I I think that's what was going on.
7: I remember reading in the early 68 Micro magazine that when the rumors uh, were circulating that Tandy was working on a 6809 computer, some people thought it would be an an S50 uh, bus system.
6: Oh, okay. So that's, that's a pretty interesting bit of history because this is what the Coco could have gone in this direction other than what you know Tandy did. And at this point, there was no multipack interface or anything else. They did have a seven slot thing. You could plug into this to plug in seven additional cards. And like I said, you could do RAM, R32, video, all kinds of things. So it basically was you know the S50 version of a multipack. Um, and of course, this is back when the Coco was very primitive or 16K RAM extended basic, no disk drive, just cassette. So this would have been pretty cool, especially for the serious hobbies, because there was quite a few people, and I have read some of the older 68 microjournal stuff.
8: Um, the, the original uh, color computers were 4 and 16K because the um, the video terminals uh, were 4 and 16K. They were only 4 or 16K. The The terminals that the color computer were based on essentially yeah the, the video text. text yeah the terminal, terminal came text. first and then tandy said you know we'd like to take this uh, you know in another direction and sell our own terminal and ag vision was like sure fine whatever just we just need a cheap terminal to sell to our customers whatever you do with it is fine so tandy saw that they could you know easily modify it to make it into a computer a, a general purpose computer because basically the terminal was a
6: It's a ROM program basically that was instead of extended basic ROM, it
8: had the video tech software exactly, exactly. So, um, that's why the first systems were for 16k because the terminals were available in eight page or what is it 32 page, it it could remember eight pages or 32 pages depending on how much memory you had. There was a cheaper version, each each
6: screen was 512 bytes, right? Exactly. I do remember like in the earlier days of the Coca one, when I was reading about it in creative computing and Byte, though, that they were mentioning, you know, there, there was a lot of alternative, you know, floppy drive systems that came out. There's two or three, at least competing ones before Tandy's came out, of course, since Tandy was selling in 6,000 stores that obviously took over and they definitely weren't the best of the bunch. <laughs> so it, it definitely shows that, you know, this could have been a direction that it went if Tandy had, you know, just not designed their own, own things off the bat you know kind of gone their own route
9: or took too long to bring them to market
6: well they well, they just about took- did with the floppy drive because i mean floppy drives had been out from other people for a year at least before dandy's mm-hmm. came out not just not just ss50 bus which had their own too but just native to the coco
9: apple 2 drives were out in 78 so
6: yeah yeah because i remember they were selling 40 track double-sided drive support built in now mm-hmm. this is usually using flex or something like that not so much you know basic but Anyway, it's a bit of an interesting uh, Cocoa history that a lot of people I don't think are aware of. I'd I totally forgotten about this to be honest myself and then it kind of brought back memories because I had seen this ad before but back in 81 you know back in the day.
8: I never never saw this until just now.
6: <laughs> yeah. Well this, this never appeared in any of the Cocoa magazines because the Cocoa magazines had just barely started as two page newsletters at this point. Yeah. Uh, next up Riz Thomas Uh, on Facebook, he did a composite upgrade to his Cocoa tube based on Alan of AC's 8-bit zones uh, video design that we've highlighted uh, a few months back. And uh, he actually took some before and after pictures to show the improvement. So here's the original RF modulator on the left top and the modified for composite AV out on the left bottom. And then he's got the original RF out picture signal and then the one on the bottom. So you can see it's definitely a lot more readable. I can also see his phase is opposite between the two here too. So his red blue is gonna be reversed for a game. And then you can see the uh ones here with both color sets just to show the the different color burst phase settings there but it's definitely clearer i mean you can see that on the left ones the the word high score and the numbers are a little bit fuzzy it's a lot crisper and clearer on the right so definitely made a big improvement so kudos to riz for actually installing it and kudos to ac for releasing the design
7: we got ya.
6: (laughs) is there any buzzing noise in the background on that one no no
7: nope, nope, that one's nice and clear
6: yeah well it does have that did it did it did it did it sound but that's a bit different again next up at uh, Catherine Trudell or Trudell I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name so my apologies to Catherine if I did that wrong but she released a couple of unboxing videos or um, unboxing photos I should say here for some vintage Tandy equipment for the Coco so The first one I'll be showing here is the uh, DMP-105 dot matrix printer. And as Ron Klein and others have mentioned, there's been a lot of interest in real printers again lately. You can see what the original price was too. How much are inkjets these days? 50 bucks for full color. (laughs) (laughs) This one actually still has a styrofoam packing, even has a dust cover thrown in. And it's still white instead of some (laughs) weird yellowish plastic.
8: Was prices it new in box or...
6: by the box? What was that, Mark?
9: Oh, the uh, the printers or prices are subsidized by the ink, you know? You, you sell yeah, nowadays they are, and, yeah. right, uh, Make it up on the blades. Yeah.
6: But yeah, I'm wondering if this had never been seen the light of day, because that is white.
8: Yeah, that's, that's, that's not is yellow. Nice the new in box. Yeah. Where would a DMP hide for 40 years?
3: in that box apparently apparently. (laughs) oh and a new tractor feed too Mm. yeah
8: so that was
6: cool and then she followed that up we used to have one of those with a multi-pack now this is a box I don't remember seeing too many with all these different languages thrown on it so this must be an intertan one I'm guessing unless one of you guys that lives in the states did you guys have like French and Spanish and German and English
8: no 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 Uh no english that's
6: it because even the canadian ones we had english and french that was it we did not have multi-language this might be a european one for all i know right
3: and you, they probably had to didn't they have that law where you had to have french on everything in quebec we still do have
6: that law because <laughs> we are officially a bilingual country including the graffiti yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all the painted trains you know, on the side that we have english and french for. no i'm just kidding
9: it's interesting that the English uh, is uh, the American spelling, but then all the others look.
6: Then they yeah, switch with the "or" versus the uh, "color" yeah. or "clear" or <laughs> "that's that's farb computer." Does that mean color? I'm not sure what the heck that is. I do like it. It's a multi-pack schnitzel, though. That makes me hungry. <laughs> um, but this one's even got the manual still in the plastic. styrofoam mounts yeah and it's one of the newer ones it's the smaller slimmer ones that they did later on
9: um, 3124s i think i wonder if it's yeah probably not the
6: rare so. a model which actually had the coco 3 upgrade pre-done by tandy that was pretty you had to be special to find those All right. and you can see how much whiter it is in the coco 3 <laughs>
5: yeah
6: though is actually not bad yeah maybe frozen nitrogen And loaded it right up. And of course, she's got one game in there Clowns and Balloons, but she has a logo. So she has one language there Ed Tasm for machine language and then a Cocoa STC. So
7: already out of slots.
6: Yep. David Ladd's <laughs> right. We need a 16 slot MPI. So I don't know if still on the call there. I was hoping we'd pipe up on that one.
8: And the ability to plug another 16 slot into the lat into the 16 <laughs> yeah. slot of the first one.
10: <laughs> the the LAN so what was that the lad expander
8: yeah there you go
10: <laughs> but you can see where the ss50
6: bus was going back in 81 they already had seven slots right out the hop you know they were paired for this
9: uh, the apple twos had seven slots plus their language card so it's precedence
6: yeah and they actually had a built-in command in basic to boot a port like pr number and then the port number you want to drive with think floppy drive yeah. usually six wasn't it
9: yeah usually in six but it could be other places too
10: now, if yeah. only they had a CPU with enough horsepower to use them.
9: <laughs> hey, they made a 6809 card. I, I have a clone of one.
6: Yeah, I know it's nine, too. Next up, we have 8Bits in the basement. Our Irish friend living in France, I believe. Um, so he hasn't done a hardware video in a while here, so this was kind of cool. So he took Mark J. Blair's Cocoa 1-2-3 uh, cartridge PCB, which is a way to basically just get this little card, you install the ROMs and stuff on it. So we decided to make a little video here showing a PCB, how the pieces work. In fact, it's got a couple different sizes of ROMs. You can put the sockets on if you want a 24, 28 pin, et cetera. And then he does some, you know, explanation of how it works, um, how the auto start pin works, which I know Nick Mrendis has had tremendous fun with lately. And Mr. Dave, I believe as well. And then he goes installing a few specific things on it, um, including like some game cartridges just to show how it works with games. So he's got Firefall, for example. I think he did one or two others. And then he goes into putting it in HDB DOS with drivewire support. So we actually can load in stuff from directly from there. And then he goes a step further because he's not done yet. And he actually puts in that cartridge built into the Coco itself, freeing up the cartridge port itself for any other cards. So the whole thing fits inside the case. And he actually, since he has HDB DOS there, he can actually like load stuff off drivewire directly. Kind of reminds me of a little bit of Sloopy's seeing you know, a wireless version of it here where you don't need a multi-pack or anything else here to load stuff off drive wire, but you still have room to add in a floppy drive and it's to see or whatever else you want to So it's a fairly interesting hardware project there. Um, kind of going a little bit above and beyond. Of here you're seeing PAL colors for selling that So it's a, it's a pretty cool video. I would definitely recommend, especially you hardware types there to go make some comments on his video because I mean, most of the stuff's way over my head. But it's a, a very well done you know, internal case mod here that leaves your slot free but gives you an HDB DOS and drive wire access build right into the Cocoa itself. Next up, and he, Rocky Hill, the guy who put the video up we saw last week and had a huge discussion on, on creating a duplicate Coco2 motherboard um, where you can just swap, it, put the parts in, not swap, but put the parts in and, and get it up and running if you have a cracked circuit board or whatever. And, we, and he's been going through and testing it. Now, he did some testing we showed last week, and he did two separate little videos here to test out a couple other peripherals. So the first one he already did was to test the cassette board. Now, he did have some problems with eyewares. He's not sure if this is related to his um, circuitry, though I don't think so. I think it's more how he created the WAV file that's playing across. And he was trying to load Bird Attack by Tom Mix, and he took a couple of tries, and it kept eye near the end of it. But it looks like he got enough of it loaded in it actually did run. Now he is having problems where he's not getting the color burst. He's not getting the artifact colors going. And I know his video signal has been a bit crotchy looking, you know, from the start here on the RF. So he's got a few bits he's got to try to figure out there. But basically, I mean, the port itself works. He also used this as an opportunity to try the joystick port because the game works with joystick and that works. You can fire, move left, right, and everything else works fine. So that part of his circuitry is fine as well. And then he did in a second little video here to show testing the serial port, the BitBanger. So he goes through and he goes through a bit of an explanation of, you know, how it's supposed to work and blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up using LList, uh, which is a you know, list to a serial printer built into BASIC itself to send it over to the PC. You can monitor it in the terminal program, setting up for the same parameters the printer defaults to, which I think was one eight bit word length uh one or two stop bits i can't remember no parity. 600 baud does the l list on the coco itself here which then should send it to zero printer and then when he goes over here you can actually see it that setting it 600 I've baud tested, i think so it's working i can so the bitbanger is working on this uh on the board totally you know new coco 2 motherboard as well so we were trying to get him on for this week. He's, uh, he was actually away and couldn't, couldn't do it this week. So we're planning on having him on next week. So if any of you guys have any questions on his Coco 2 motherboard design or maybe some further things, like one thing I, I thought of uh, during this week was uh, one thing, since we have a working, functioning Coco 2 duplicate motherboard now that we can mass produce or even you know just produce in small batches. You could also change it a little bit to say have the coco vga pre-installed as part of the motherboard instead of having all these little satellite boards and stuff and then you know maybe we could even 3d print a case or something to you know have the cables coming out directly or whatever and then you could actually purchase a coco one or two equivalent coco vga built in as a system new in the and, box <laughs> yeah and maybe throw in a gmc or you know, you know some other uh, sound card or something else you could actually create a new coco 2 with a lot of these extra features we've been adding over the years built in.
8: Don't forget a real time clock.
6: Well, I want one of the Coke three before the Coke one, two gets it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're, we're, we're planning as long as, you know, schedules continue to match so far. So good. Uh, we plan on having them on the show next week. So any of you want to come up with some questions or comments, uh, please have them ready for the show next week. I'm hoping that'll be a nice long discussion because it's a pretty fascinating project and it definitely has some potential for uh, where the cocoa can go in the future, since you know, obviously Tandy doesn't make them anymore. Uh, next up, now, uh, Mark had brought this up at the beginning of the show, so those of you that have joined late, this will be new to you, and those of you who have joined right from the beginning here, this has some of the details you'll need. So side, because the cocoa Fest itself has been delayed till November, and that's not a for sure thing. It's pretty sure. I mean, vaccinations are going quite well, et cetera, here. So we should hopefully be able to gather in November for the actual Cocoa Fest show. They decided to do a virtual Spring Fest sponsored by the club. And this is basically just a meet and greet. You can log in with Blue Jeans. You can phone in with a real telephone. Um, Blue Jeans is available on various operating systems, including mobile and uh, desktops, laptops, et cetera. And it's basically just, you know, pop in, say hi to everybody. It's kind of just a Cocoa community gathering type thing. Just sitting around chat for a while. If you can only pop by for five minutes, that's fine. If you want to hang out for the whole thing, that's fine too. And that's happening tonight, starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. I think I had Eastern in my notes, but that's wrong. Um, so there's the uh, phone number information, and, and uh, Mark will be posting the link to this page on Glenn's side site so you can get the details. There's the uh, the Blue Jeans call number. There's also the phone in uh, if you're in the United States and from other places as well. What the meeting IDs are that you need to do. And uh, they're expecting it to last probably at least two hours, uh, depending on who all pops in. I definitely will be popping in for a little bit tonight myself. So I hope to see you guys there and uh, invite all your Coco friends. Okay, so next up, we're getting into a couple of MC10 stories. So the first one, Darren Atkinson has released an update to the MCX32 Basic, which is now up to version 3.1, which is basically bug fixes for the most part. Now, his basic, MCX basic, is basically an enhancement uh, that basically brings the MC10 basic almost up to extended basic in a lot of ways. So you get you know P mode 0 and 1, and you can do PCLS and copy and a bunch of other things. Um, so it gives you a lot of stuff added on. It actually supports the MC, which is the equivalent of drive wire for the MC10 server, so you can load stuff off that. There's just basically a ton of stuff in here. Um, so he's got a list of all the different things that were fixed here. He's also adjusted some things... Um, for the Alice, which we covered last week when we discovered there were some other Alices besides the standard one, which we, I didn't know about. Um, so the Alices actually ran at higher clock speeds, some of the later ones. and this actually will fix the timer interval and I think the sound routine then gets fixed too so the pitches are correct because otherwise they play way too fast. It's like doing a double speed poke on a cocoa. So I don't know if anybody here is lucky enough to have an Alice, but if you have one of the later ones um, where it actually runs you know at double clock speed all the time, that's a, that's a pretty cool feature too. And you can play your Jim Gary games at much faster rates. So any of you with an MC10 or an Alice, um, free download, go grab it. Um, there was one quirk I saw mentioned on Facebook that the P copy commands do not run until you do a P mode command first, which was not required in the original version and was not required on the Coco. So what is one little quirk of syntax there? As long as you just do a P mode zero, command, you don't have to activate the screen to see it or anything. You just have to do that one command. Which, as far as I can tell, initializes the graphic system, so it knows that a copy is legal. Type thing. So, one little thing to worry about. But pretty good upgrade. A lot, lot of bug fixes, and free download. Uh, next up in the MC10 group, we have Jim McClellan, who's uh, we kind of mentioned last week was working on a banner printer program for the MC10 and his newly acquired toilet paper ten. I mean TP10 uh, thermal printer. <laughs> and. Um, you actually got a little uh, you know sample of it here, MC10 rules. Um, so this uh, currently is a work in progress. This is basically a version one and it will allow a 64 character banner with alphanumeric, So upper case letters and numbers. And the exclamation point is currently the only um, fancy Especially. character he's got in there. Yeah, so he'll be adding more as he goes. So what version one was basically just to get it to print text. But then you can make these huge banners that come out and, you know, the full width of the paper is the height of the character set. And you can print it as long as you want because it's a continuous roll of paper until you tear it off. It's not like, you know, dot matrix where it's perforated in the middle or anything like that. So you can make banners, you can hang on your walls, etc. And I remember there used to be tons of these for the, uh, the Cocos back in the day. Uh, Al Hartman, I know they used to sell one uh, through the companies that he's worked through back in the early 80s. Um, so, I mean, that's just one. And then there's just Cocoa 3 versions of stuff too. So it's nice that the MC-10 has a new one here too. There's been a lot of interest in using MC10s, Cocos, et cetera, with real printers from the day lately. It's kind of weird. I never thought I'd see that again. Anyway, he's got a free download to that. Um, it's a Google Plus link, which I'll let uh, Mark post. I won't bother linking the page here because it's kind of useless to watch it. Already posted. Cool. Next up, we have a few dragon stories. And uh, we'll make a little plug here early that if Ron Deville's still on and he's still awake, he's definitely going to like the fourth one. But enough of that teaser. So the first one here, uh, NitroSign native support for the Dragon Plus. We covered the Dragon Plus a little bit last week as well. This is the uh, add-on card that adds 64K of extra RAM. It also adds an 80 column card with composite out. This is examples of the 80 column composite out here. And it actually shows the 64K RAM drive being initialized under NitroSign with 236 sectors free. So that distribution that has full support for the Dragon Plus is now out. You can download it. So this is OS9, our Nitro9 level one. I don't know if he's done a 6309 enhanced version of this one or not. I didn't get a chance to check that, but uh, and you could definitely speed up the RAM drive, for example, or even scrolling the screen and stuff on the 80 column screen. But it's nice. The the bonus feature of this too is that the Dragon version of OS9 was a little bit different by default than the Cocoa one. The Cocoa one defaulted to the 512 byte 32 by 16, you know, green screen we're all used to which takes 512 bytes of RAM from the system itself to have the screen. The dragons kind of poo-pooed that and said, ah, who wants to run on that piece of crap screen? So they basically have their drivers default to running a graphic screen, a 6K graphic screen, Mode 4 basically, with a custom graphical character set. And they usually ran it in 42 or 51 column, kind of like if you remember Telewriter or VIP Writer from back in the day, that type of font. But that of course eats 6K of, of system RAM. This 80 column screen has its RAM... On the Dragon Plus board, so it's actually not included in the Dragon's RAM. So you get 6K back, plus you get an 80-column screen. So this gives you a ton more memory to play with, especially considering level one, you only have 64k for the operating system, your programs, and anything else you're doing. Period. That's all you have. So you have a 64K RAM drive for really fast pseudo disk access. So if you have you know commonly used utilities that are you can copy them on the RAM drive and run them straight off there, they're instant loading basically at that point. Plus, you get an 80-column screen, plus you get 6k of your system memory back. So it's like a win-win-win all the way around. So that's uh, freely uh, downloadable as well. And like I said, I'll have to go check to see if they have a nine version. If not, maybe I'll have to convince them to do that because I think it'd be kind of cool to have an enhanced dragon you know, really fast speeds. Next one up, uh, x War tape reading updates. I kind of alluded to this earlier here uh, for Ron Klein because uh, Karen had mentioned to me in a, a private chat which was actually about something totally different that will be coming up in the next few weeks um but basically he's been finding that a couple of the commercial games from back in the day in the dragon seemed to have this little ghosty effect it's probably from the tape duplicating machine they were using at the time you get this very faint echo and he had a very you know precise crossover timing and stuff and also the level of the reads and it would start to pick this up in Iowa, yet it would work on a real dragon So he finally figured out what was going on there and he's done a tweak, which is kind of like in a beta test right now, which is why it hasn't shown up on the Pi automatically, that is to fix this. And it appears to be working. So he's given some details here in the post on the Dragon World of Dragon archive message board, but he's also got it available for download on his site if you want to try it. And um, I'm assuming this would work on the NTSC as well. Um, Or sorry, this is the extrovert, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but it should fix some of those ones. If you're trying to transfer real tapes over and you've got a little bit of that echoey background or a little bit of noise in general that would read on a real hardware, but would not read an x it should read now. Please, if you do try that, give him some feedback. If you still have some that don't quite work properly, maybe send him the WAV of the tape in question so that he can maybe play with the settings a little bit more and try to make it more universal. So far, he hasn't heard of any that are not working that work on real hardware now. This seems to have fixed it. But if you guys have any exceptions, please send them up to Kieran. Next up is this was an interesting one. Uh, Philip Hennerberg, he's been digging up. Now he's got a collection of cocoa and dragon stuff, and he's just been kind of like taking it out of storage lately. So he came across a couple of things that I don't know too much about either. So the first one is this strange looking thing, which is I don't know a composite
10: something or other. It's got you know, oh that's <laughs>
6: yeah. do you know what, what is? that
12: is? Of course I do.
6: That's the digi scan uh, video digitizer. Oh really?
9: Wasn't they made by yeah. an Australian
6: guy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I had the RAS scan that big box once. So I, I didn't see it. Yeah, this no, one. Th- that's the Digi scan. Oh, okay. Well, I I'll that's make a note of that. <laughs> I will make a note of that because I'll let them know then. Yeah. So you can explain what all these different ports are for then, because you got quite a few cables in there plus two dials. Well, there's two joy. Uh, one, two, the two joystick
12: um, connections, one cassette and uh, video in is the RCA and the dials, you got black and white, which sets the black level for the incoming video and white is for the white level or the, or the, or the peak point for the incoming video signal. So you adjust those to try get the best uh, spread of uh, dithering uh, during the capture. Yeah. Okay. And this worked
6: on Palin and NDFC, or did you have to have separate? Uh,
12: Yeah. 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 It will work on both. Okay,
6: I'll send him a comment after the show's done here, but uh, yeah, thanks for letting me know. I, I will send
12: him a link to my website if you want, yeah,
6: yeah, actually, that's a good
12: idea. Does he have the software? I might have to uh send him the software. I, if,
6: well, the thing is, because he's just digging stuff out of storage, everything hardware separated from all the software stuff, oh, so he right. probably doesn't yeah, even okay. know they're related if he does have it. So, yeah,
7: you didn't put a name on the box, Nick? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Those
9: aren't gonna work, that on was dragon. That, that was
12: before games. my um. That was before my fetish for fetish for Ferrari, so I didn't really bother. <laughs>
6: <laughs> now the digiscan was your last version, right? Because it was Yeah, yeah. It was it was the working one. <laughs> hey, the RAS scan worked. I had one for years.
12: Yeah, it did work. Yeah. It was but, big and bulky. DigiScan was uh the refined version, yeah. Yeah.
6: Because you had two dials on that one too, but it was in a plastic box that was probably... That was in that big brick, wasn't eight it? Eight inches deep or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's the one six that inches uh,
12: wide. Um, Game Point software yeah. commissioned yep, there. Yeah, that was the worst one.
6: That's by where far. I first got introduced to your crap. I mean, games and stuff. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> And the second one he got here, does anybody recognize this Delta Pro thing? Stereo headphone, mic line in, left and right. Not sure exactly what that is.
5: Hmm.
6: I'm not even sure if this is a Dragon product or a Cocoa product.
8: Looks kind of homemade.
10: Well,
6: it's it's a joysticks lot of the Cocoa stuff kind of looks homemade. So. Any more views of it? No, I was just going to check. Like, I haven't checked the comments today, so I'm wondering it's if like another the other st- sampler.
3: Right. They might be doing the same trick. Use all the IO, and then you've got some.
6: Okay. He's got an update here. Delta Pros for the Cocoa. Sorry, wrong group. For further Googling, Delta Pro Sound by Lucas Industries. Use the Delta or change method of recording sound. Digitized sound is not possible with minimum memory usage.
10: Yeah. Sample through the joysticks.
6: Yeah, so it's using the ADD from the joystick ports, which is six bit conversion, basically.
9: Cool thing is that would be playable back on the on the Dragon. He refused uh Coco to record it.
6: Yeah. Right. Thank you. Six... Go ahead. I was
3: just going to say that six bits by four. Remember, because they're using all the ports. So.
6: Yeah, and if you record on a Coco three with the higher CPU speeds, you can get you know decent quality at a higher bit rate. You can play those back fast on the dragon I mean, you wouldn't be able to record him quite as quick but yeah that's kind of cool anyway thank, thanks for uh letting me know on that nickel I'll, I'll let him know when yeah time. as soon as i saw that picture i thought that's a digis game <laughs> yeah i didn't even cross my mind because like they just or the Rascan to me is like a much different looking beast <laughs> and next one is is ron delvaux still on the call
14: yep i'm here
6: Okay, this next one is kind of with you in mind. Okay. Because we were talking about Pearl earlier. uh, Yeah. So this one here, uh, David F. Gisbert posted a picture of his dog, who is obviously a huge dragon fan. (laughs) Guarding the dragon software in her paws so that the human can't steal (laughs) it from her. She's got the game on
12: pause. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, that's a Ron, good
14: night <laughs> play with me don't play with the game
6: <laughs> so have you ever got you know pearl posed with some cocoa stuff like that Ron
14: yeah uh, I never did well she, you know I have her po- uh, posed in front of a bunch of cars
6: <laughs> <laughs> bunch I just find that cute I should actually ask if this <clears throat> with this was like staged you know, the dog was half asleep and just stuck it between the paws, or if that's actually a, a play or chew toy for the dog. I don't
14: know. Yeah, chew toy.
6: <clears throat> Yow. <But>, let's <laughs> let's see if Kieran's x ray Patch can read those tapes after they've been chewed on by the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the news this week. Oh gee. Okay. Uh and I thought you'd like that one, Ron. So I stuck yeah, with it. it's
14: good one. Because I had another
6: Samuel Gimes episode singing. So
12: yeah, oh boy.
14: <laughs> Do you
12: want
4: to take a break or go into updates?
6: Playing all Samuel Gimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't too long. I don't think. So if you want to hit the updates, I don't think there's too many this week anyway. So.
4: Oh, well, we don't. We don't have a theme for updates. Uh, let's see my lists. Rick, you had, you had something? You're up.
3: Sure. Um, let me steal the screen here. And, uh, so when we left our heroes last week, I was stuck at this arrow page, error page. I didn't manage to fix that. And I got my web server to talk to me. And so once I had that done, I of course had to write a bit of a parser. So I made this screen, which should look like this, but that's as good as I got this week. Um,
9: should be proud.
3: So hey, I've got the world's most useless web browser running in Deck B. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, the the problem with that here, I can I can show you the problem with that if I can remember how to roll this window down, and uh, we'll run bad movie here. So here's the speed. Obviously, we could use a TFM right about now. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And now uh, let's parse that.
9: Did you use a double speed bug?
3: Dump, dump, uh, 97. dump dump. And so here's the actual parsing speed of the thing. We're waiting for the second string to read in. So So yeah.
6: What baud rate equivalent were you using in this?
3: Uh, <laughs> so th- this is uh you know ten one hundred, and that's that's as good as i can this is deck b doing a a, a quick loop just peak the data port character that's string all in basic peak the data port character string yeah we could definitely use some some driver support right about now
6: are you, are uh-huh. you using at least the hex ones i like ampersand h
3: yeah yeah but because okay. uh, those are faster but yeah it's uh
6: Let's see.
9: You also have to realize it's parsing actual HTML and it has to break it out for yeah. it.
6: No, I've, the I've the written pack. a BASIC 9 one that's a little tiny bit more advanced than that actually does Bold and a few other tags. Yeah,
3: I mean, here's my parser. It's like uh, 15 lines of basic. It's not much of a parser. <laughs> <laughs> but it does prove the point. The only thing I've got between me and the world is an Ethernet cable and it's working. <laughs> Um, obviously with a very simplified screen, because you know, the o- only thing I'm doing is is text and headers so far. But throwing some image tags and stuff, and we got the start of a usable thing. I just need a way to get data in and out faster than than what I can machine language. Yeah, well, well right. we're waiting on, on Mark and Bill and Alan and everyone. But it's else.
6: good, that it proves that the hardware is working.
3: Well, exactly. Yeah. We're we're somewhere, and it proves that the server will wait on you as long as it needs to wait <laughs> to give you that second packet.
6: So uh yeah. Have, have you tried, like I know you, you use you use OS9 quite a bit. Um, have you tried using basic 9, which of course is a lot faster doing peaks and stuff like that with interviews? I
3: haven't got there yet. I mean, to be frank, I'm so far behind on Cocoa Knowledge at this point, because I mean the last time I used Basic 9 was in ninety seven and Pretty much the same with Deck B, but Deck B is really quick to pick up, and I want to do my example code in that because everyone knows the formatting, or at least has the manual. So it's a good way to to write pseudo code and prove that it works to
6: myself before okay. I give it to other people. <laughs> remind, remind me on Discord later this week. I do have my very basic HTML parser I wrote too, way way back in the day in BASIC nine, <clears throat> which handles like I said, like bold and maybe center and a few other specific things. I can't remember what exactly it had. But actually That's use right. a graphic screen so you could actually do bolding properly and stuff too. I can send you the raw code for that and you can use all you have to do is add your peak stuff for your thing there and it should run a fair bit faster.
3: That would be cool. and Because I want to start playing with side loading images on a second socket and things like that. And this would be you know, as long as you have a lot of time. <laughs> 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 it would be a way to experiment with that. You know, okay. for rollovers and things. I'll I see if I throw... can hunt
6: down my original basic nine source there, because I do have it around somewhere. I'm, might I'm even be on EOU. A... I might have thrown it on there already and just forgot to. I don't know. I'll
3: check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me just be go to this directory, you dummy. <laughs> cool. And that's really all I have. I've been beating my head against that and other things this week, so.
5: Okay.
3: Cool. Yeah.
4: So, Mark, did you have, uh, Marco, do you have uh, something you want to show us?
9: Oh, just something I found this week.
6: Uh, oh, with Martin, Martin Jr.'s yep. computer graphics. Yep. That's his one of my basic graphics, remember, not machine yep. language. right?
9: Uh, oh, it's so. for Actually, both. What's both? I, am, okay. I haven't cracked it open yet, so.
10: I, looked I think one. I have the
9: PDF somewhere.
10: <laughs> the initial examples are basic. They're very, uh, but he does, like, all of the semi-graphics modes and Shows you like exactly how it lays out in memory and within the byte itself. It's really, really well done for just understanding the, the basic BGG setup.
6: Cool. Does it get into how to do like hardware smooth scrolling
10: with uh, BGG counters no. and stuff? Not quite. Just like the Ed Tasm book, when you get to the chapter on interrupts, it says not here.
4: <laughs> okay. Everything has limits. Yeah. Cool. And I think we actually have a leftover from last week, Sloopy. Um, you were going to show us something last week, and we uh, gave up.
13: Yeah. Sorry about that. I uh, my son uh, needed me for a moment at the end. So um, a couple people have asked me about this uh, obscenely large uh, MC10. Yes, I just recently acquired it. Uh, The one that um, Allison had posted on the uh, Cocoa group that uh, at that price it had feet for walking. Well, it walked to my house. (laughs) So um, I got it. Uh, It works and had no problems with it. It was like 55 shipped, I do believe, or something like that, maybe 55 plus shipping. Um, I also, I'm sorry? Cheap. Yes. Yes. And uh, as you can see, there's a uh, Cocoa One on top of it. That is actually a Raspberry Pi 4 uh, case um, that uh, originally I was building for, I was making for my Raspberry Pi, but I decided to go in a different direction for my Raspberry Pi. So when I finally get around to finishing it, I will be actually giving it away to one uh, lucky viewer. Oh, cool. So. Um, also, uh, the, uh, my final uh, acquisition is uh, I've acquired the time to actually uh, release the drive wire boards and the drive wirelessly boards for all machines except for the COCO2. So I will be doing a full write up and review and, and um, video on them working and all and uh, be putting them on sale. So if anyone wants to, uh, is interested in uh, purchasing, um, they can contact me either on the COCO Discord or on uh, Facebook. The uh, links will be in the uh, time codes when I do them tonight.
6: So that's for the COCO 3 and the COCO 1s?
13: Yes, the COCO 1 and 3, the drive wirelessly boards will work. Uh, There's an issue with the COCO 2 because of the way the PIA chip is further down underneath the keyboard that I need to make a new uh, uh, PCB for it that brings it back a little bit so that you can actually close the machine. Um, the drive wire board uh, that actually includes the uh, HDB DOS or YADOS will work and fit in the Cocoa 2, but the uh, drive wirelessly board is what makes it uh, so great. Yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah. I was,
6: was going to ask, because there's quite a few different motherboard designs of the Coco 2 motherboard, depending on what yes. age it was. Does it work on any of those, or is that kind of the same positioning on all of them for that particular spot?
13: Um, that I don't know. I only have the uh, one with the uh, horizontal RF can. I don't have a Coco 2 with the vertical can, and everyone I've seen with the vertical can, they've gone for obscene amounts of money, so I haven't been able to do anything about it um i have two with the horizontal can and they'll definitely be working no problem in them and i've looked at pictures of the other one and evidently if it works in the one with the horizontal can it will work in the one with the vertical can
0: okay cool
13: so yeah if anyone has questions they can send them to me either discord or on facebook
6: one one question i'll throw up just for especially newer viewers that don't even know too much about this this project uh How much are you charging for them? Um,
13: The drive wirelessly board will be 20 and the internal drive wire board will be 30. If you buy them both at the same time, it'll be 45. Okay, cool. Yeah, I understand that it's just under the price of a uh, Coco SDC, but um, the thing is is I went through the numbers and literally I'm making almost no money off of it. It's more of uh, the parts and such that's uh, bringing up the price. So, especially with the way shipping has been increasing in price and the prices of everything. Yeah. So, okay.
4: Cool.
5: Uh,
4: Ron, did you have something for us today? Yeah, just a little
14: stupid thing that I usually do. Let's see. Oh.
4: So, uh, hang, on, hang on, hang on, let me find it. Let me find it, where is it? There it is. Okay, Ron, take it away.
14: Okay. It says I can't do it until now. Now you can. Yeah. Is it up? Let's see. Sure. Wait a minute. Now it is. Here we go. Okay, Ron's Garage. Uh, Terry Steggy sent me this a while back, and I've had it up, and I've been putting some stuff on it and playing with it. It's like being back in 1996 um, it's a lot of fun it's in my garage so therefore I show it
10: are and there flying toasters
14: yeah I found this at Goodwill yesterday I didn't buy it but um, it's a four cassette duplicator I guess <laughs> interesting huh yeah they wanted 30 bucks for it yeah. Eh, wow. don't
6: want it Yeah, it's probably more like a dragon user probably wouldn't mind getting that because they still use cassette a lot more than we do. And it's mono, so it's probably
14: good for making tapes for the cocoa. Yep. But I didn't get it. And uh, I have, on occasion, play my um, William Tell Overture on um, my uh, through my phone in the car, turn it up, (laughs) and drive with the windows down. (laughs) (laughs) Damn kids. Yeah. (laughs) This is uh, a graphic I made of the um, Tandy Cocoa 123. Just kind of something interesting. Um, I think uh, Ron Klein might be doing something with it. I sent him some copies of that. He might be doing something, just cooking up something. And then this is Taz. I thought, you know what? Taz is a really neat little character. Maybe we can come up with something similar to him where he kind of. Uh, like bold and strong instead of this wimpy cat, you know. And then the <laughs> 10 definitely
6: tell you're a dog person, Ron.
14: Yeah, and then the FG 10 <laughs> is um, a, a baby one. They had baby Taz. taz, baby taz. Yeah, so we got to come up with something similar. Maybe I'll make something up and have it real close, but no, uh, you know, yeah, not exact not get
6: sued. <laughs>
14: yeah. But, um, you know, I was looking and people make t-shirts and you know change it a little and have sayings and stuff and i thought that was pretty cool anyway what i did was uh copied it using the uh, vg6 mode and um this is the um high color too and it came out pretty good you know pretty decent decent little guy and then um somebody uh a Guy did uh, Adrian's basement did uh, I, I just posted this because I pulled out my uh, my um, 16k basic cocoa 2 and put audio spectrum analyzer on it, and was playing with it through my uh, uh, cell phone. So I just took a picture, threw it up on there, and then uh, somebody mentioned uh, here that this guy had done it. Um, where is that? I don't know, anyway. This guy has real cool um...
8: Can you hear it? Nope. No. No. But I've seen the video. He talks about how cool it was that this existed in 1981.
6: Yeah, I think we featured it on the show some months ago.
8: Did you?
14: Yeah. Well, he finds out that there's there's all kinds of buttons you can push.
6: <laughs> yeah, I get to and that kind of yeah. effects and stuff.
14: Yeah, so it's pretty cool. The guy did a nice
6: job. Now, I will so, mention one <clears> of the <throat> comments on your post about the audio spectrum analyzer there would mention that uh, one person was really disappointed that it no longer worked on the Copa 3 when the Copa 3 came up. I yeah. mean, technically, it works. You just can't see it because of the semi graphics mode. Um, I will mention that is fixed on the Gimme X. It does work again. Cool,
4: and I noticed uh, uh, in the uh, text underneath there, uh, Ken Ken Make it said he never figured out how to win that game. <laughs> yeah, Better well, he was speaker. always
6: just always into scripts that he didn't care about any other games anyway. So, <laughs> so
4: anybody
7: else have any updates?
6: damn anything interesting happening in Mame?
7: nothing at all <laughs>
6: <laughs> translation yeah but i can't tell you yet
10: yeah the grin totally gives you away tim yeah
6: so all the right. mega mini mpi sound chip support that's what we're waiting for that thing
14: <laughs> what's on your shirt tim
7: uh youtuber by the name of vintage, vintage beef
14: oh that's looks eight-bitish
7: yeah uh, he uh, streams a lot of minecraft
8: yeah well oh. Obviously, uh, Ron doesn't play Minecraft. (laughs) No.
6: No. And and Ken Uh, Record in in the chat says, "Oh yeah, baby, I have the high score and scripts it."
8: (laughs) I'll be getting a a new machine to run my emulation software on uh, in about a month. I four. No, uh, the new iMac. I'm going to get the new iMac. Oh, okay. uh, uh, New uh, M1. Yep. What color? What color? <laughs> That's what everyone's asking. Purple? <laughs> uh I would know blue, probably blue.
7: You'll have to let me know uh, if you try to compile MAME yourself.
8: I'll give it a shot. I'll be I'll be happy to give it a shot. And because uh, I'd I'd love to road test it because you know it's an M1. It's uh interesting thing about the M1 is it's uh to run the Intel software, you run it through a, like a converter called Rosetta which, you know, kind of changes the, the Intel code into M1 executable code. And a lot of the uh, Intel software is running faster on M1 going through the converter than it does on an actual Intel hardware, which is really quite amazing. Yeah, it, it is. is. So I'm
7: anxious
8: Who, I make who makes a, the M1? What? Um, back in 2010, uh, 2011, when uh, Apple came out with the iPad, uh, we started developing our own chip, because basically because Intel was not interested in developing m- chips for the mobile devices, the iPhone and the iPad. So over the last 10 years or so, we've been developing our own I- uh, in-house silicon. Um, and they're designed for iPhones and iPads, which are fanless, battery-operated devices. And uh, we've gotten so good at it. Basically, everything is a system on a chip. So the CPU, 8-core CPU, 8-core GPU, 16-core AI unit, and 8 or 16 gigs of RAM all on one chip. So by doing that, you get this amazing uh, efficiency. So you can run it on battery, very low power, generates very little heat. Uh, Little heat means you can put them in the iPhone and iPad. Uh, The MacBook Air... uh, that we just came out with that has the m1 chip does not have any fans the mac pro and the imac have fans um and so you get this amazing efficiency and amazing uh power you know compute power for very little you know energy
10: it's based on arm cores if i remember right yes it is
6: and
8: yeah uh,
10: secret sauce some of the other stuff but in the last year they've pried a lot about how the m1 works apart and on this particular generation, what they're doing is four cores, high power, four cores, low power. And it's got a lot of intelligence in the bus to determine which core needs to be doing the next task so that you can get a lot of power when you need it or a lot of efficiency when you need it. And you're not having to program for it. It's figuring a lot of that out. Yeah, the load
8: balancing before. is done internally on the chip. I, I mean, Well, it's probably through the OS or, or maybe on board the chip. I don't know.
14: Well, let's hope that none of those uh, argue with each other. <laughs> but they yeah, did. the
8: initial uh, Arm doesn't really make chips anymore. They just basically license out the technology to everybody. You know, yeah. nowadays. Well, Nvidia was public.
6: buying Arm, and now I saw that the UK is now putting up a bit of a government block on it. They may block the whole thing.
8: Who was? So I don't know what's going it? on
6: there. In- was it
8: Nvidia? Oh right.
6: Really? Yeah.
8: Yeah. Well, um, yeah. The initial, I think it was the ARM7 architecture was what we licensed from them initially, but that was you know ten years ago, and we've taken it from there. But the initial base, it is ARM-based processor.
6: Yeah. So thank you, John, for the Apple ad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the same as
10: Raspberry Pi when you really get down to it. Yeah, they're both ARM designs. So.
14: Well, he explained it really well
8: yeah well i'm excited though when i get it i'll um i'll show it off i'll show it off running my coco emulation so yeah
6: i know some uh, beta on the parallels which is the way to run windows and stuff on it actually seem to be running pretty well i don't know fusion i don't know how far along they are along
8: um yeah well parallels can run you know even and i imagine they're going to write or compile native m1 code for parallels uh so that you can run Windows under Parallels. Uh, obviously, a native installation isn't possible unless uh, Intel... Because Intel has... Or I'm sorry, Microsoft has Windows compiled under ARM.
6: Yeah, that's the one that runs faster right now on the M1 than it does on their own hardware.
8: Yeah, so if they allow it, you know, then you'll, we'll be able to install an ARM-based version of Windows on the M1's machine.
6: We, we got a comment from... Uh... Jack JBS that Microsoft um, also has an ARM version. That's true. And also the Parallels has released the ARM version. I know it was in beta a while ago, but I didn't realize oh, they really? actually released
8: it. So. It's out already, huh? Yeah, that's good.
6: Cool. Yeah. Hopefully VMware Fusion's Fusion is not too far behind because that's what I use. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All
8: right.
4: Are you ready for the outro?
6: Not so anybody else has got any final comments.
14: Nope. Uh, I talked to uh, Paul uh, Martin? Martin just a little bit ago. And uh, he's in the hospital still, but he's doing a lot better. And they're, you know, he's going to be getting chemo soon. So, yeah, be praying for him, the poor guy.
6: Yeah, I did see he's actually been active on Facebook a little bit lately. So I was hoping that meant things were going better. So, yeah, he's feeling better.
10: Cool. Get well soon, Paul. Yeah. Yeah.
4: All right. Here we go.
1: This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, Cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to... Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Leedy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichard, Jim Brain, Ken Reichard, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I M A C O C O N U T.com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people!
4: A final device
6: and also Any a final... big reminder to join the uh, the yes. virtual fest uh, event that Clinside sponsoring tonight with Blue Jeans or or if you hit their website there's also ways to telephone in if you can't get in with a computer or device
9: 3 we hours hope to see some guys hours. there
6: 3 so hours hope to see y'all there
4: so you got just enough time to watch this show again on YouTube <laughs> <laughs> and it be ready to get why up. on
6: earth you would want to I have no idea but yeah
4: they will watch the part so you can. nap through
6: yeah <laughs> okay so the whole show good gotcha does it get better the second time around
13: only if you play it at 1.5 speed <laughs> some people say it
6: does <laughs> just 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 as good as food tastes coming up the second time around so yeah <laughs> oh.
4: okay <laughs> hey, say goodbye everybody goodbye, goodbye everybody. everyone Next week, we'll see you Bye, tonight
6: everybody. on blue jeans on the Virtual festival. Yes. See you yeah, later. Yeah, I'll probably show sure. Have a good evening, everyone.